Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound radio show, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm your host, Robert Winfrey, and tonight we will be reviewing UFC 235 from last night. Uh, weird event in a lot of respects. No major fights fell apart. I was on pins and needles the whole, like, we got to fight day, and nothing had fallen apart, like, something's going to happen. Something's got to happen. No fights fell through. There was no craziness like that. To compensate, kind of a weird night of fights. Not a bad night, mind you. Let me be very clear about that. Not bad. But there was some weirdness throughout that entire card, basically. just It sprinkled here and there, just, just a little bit weird. And, you know what, I'll take that, though. I'll take a card that actually stays together and has bits of weirdness over losing main events an hour before the show starts because such is MMA at the moment. We will also be looking ahead to UFC Fight Night 146, excuse me, 146. Uh, The UFC will be debuting in the state of Kansas and we'll have a rundown of that event and Kind of a quiet news week, all things considered. There was a lot of just, you know, build up to 235, not a lot of uh, you know, major news breaking apart from, you know, some of the fallout from stuff that broke last week. But that's what's on the cards this evening. Uh, I have Jeff back with me after, again, just kind of some off and on weeks due to some scheduling issues and my life being weird on occasion. I mean, it's life. Life's always weird. But Jeff is back with us. Jeff, I'm glad you're back, man. How you doing? I'm the Jewish Chris Pratt. You mean Chris Pratt's not Jewish? He's Christian. Well, sure, but you can be ethnic, ethnically Jewish. No. Okay. Wait, no, you can't be ethnically Jewish or no, he's not? He's not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well... Anyway, glad you're back. Uh, let's go ahead and jump in. I'm glad this. I'm back. It's time to bring back some class and some intelligence to this show. Let's get to it. I didn't know Mark was coming back. All right. UFC 235. If you wanted ah. to really make me angry, you should have said Sam Arcati. My goal wasn't to make you angry. My goal is to make a joke. <laughs> That, that, okay, my goal right there was also to make a joke. Ah. That was a deep cut, though. Well, I'm of the opinion that jokes get funnier the more you explain them, so. Yeah. All right, last night, again, UFC 235, main event, John Jones defeats Anthony Smith via unanimous decision, 48-44 across the board. Now, that seems like a weird scorecard. Um, John was deducted two points in round four. After he landed an illegal knee onto Anthony Smith, and I mean, my heart just about stopped when that happened because it would have been like again this event to the to that point again there'd been some oddness there'd been some questionable referees decisions which we'll get to there had been some uh just some incredibly stupid fight decisions by fighters which you will also get to there've been some great finishes i mean there was we'd had a bit of everything but nothing had really gone off the rails and in that 
moment. Despite your, despite your voodoo Cthulhu magic trying to curse the event. Look, man, if I had Cthulhu magic, the world would just be in flames. I would, I would burn it to the ground. Well, well, one, that's dark. But two, you were definitely invoking some dark juju to happen on this card. And I, was wor- I was genuinely worried. I get more worried the less crap there is associated with a card in the, in the weeks leading up to it. I because- mean, not even the picograms and the grains of salt were able to derail this main event. And, and lo and behold, John Jones almost does something that derails the main event and puts a black eye on the whole card. So this is the one thing we can credit for Anthony Smith is that he did end up answering the bell for the fifth round. It did not flop and take a, a DQ win. Because he, he could have, man. He, he eats this, again, this illegal knee. And I bl- there's two primary things I blame for this circumstance. One is John Jones just not paying attention to what was happening at that particular moment. The other is the Nevada State Athletic Commission deciding to invoke our third set of rules that you could be that fights could be contested under. Which for the, are not the same everywhere. I mean, generally speaking, we have two sets of rules. You have the old, what we refer to as the old rules. Then there were the new rules that were ratified by the uh, the American Commission, like the Athletic Commission. The what do they call it? There's not actually a governing body, but there's an association. There's just an association of the different commissions that meet every so the often. The ABC, and go- right? Or am yeah, I- the, the American Boxing Commissions. Yeah. Yes, I believe you're correct. But a couple of years ago, they went over some of the rules and they changed a few of them. They changed the definition of a downed opponent. They made extending fingers towards your opponent a foul, even if you don't actually make contact. They changed some of the language around scoring to be more encouraging of 10-8 scorecards. We need a fully unified set of rules and we we can't have alternate rules for alternate states. It's ridiculous. It is. It's a royal pain in the butt. And that's just for those of us covering in Nevada, it. And, and, and I mean, no, did anyone ask Bob Bennett about this at all? Because from, from the press conference, it didn't sound like it. I don't know. I didn't see his portion of the press conference. It didn't sound like anyone, like, can't we just have one set of rules that everyone follows? Or can't Nevada, fo- Nevada follow the same rules as everyone else? It's it's dumb. Well, in this instance specifically, so again, yet again, there were the old rules where anything of uh, the rel- there were. I few- mean, I mean, on. now, now, let me. What do you think, Robert? If someone is like, if if their knees are not on the ground but they're crouched, kind of like Smith was, should that be a foul? The issue with Smith in this instance was he had a hand on the ground. Right, he had a. And he was on his feet. He didn't have knees on the ground, but he was not upright. The, well, this is the thing. The, again, we have the old rules state that anything other than the soles of your feet touching the ground means you're a downed opponent. Literally anything but your feet. You could reach down and put your fingertips on the ground and you can no longer be kicked or kneed in the head. The new rules state that you need both palms or fists to be flat on the mat to be considered down. Or if you have a knee down or if you're on your butt. Again, okay, what if you have both palms but no knees? Then you're down. If both feet and both palms or eh, both fists are on the ground. Eh. Not my favorite. Not how I would do it. Let me be clear. Not how I would do it. But it's better than, hey, your fingertips are on the ground. 
you you can no longer be neat in the head. Like that's. What if you have a knee and one fingertip? No, no, no. If you have a knee down, you're downed. Period. Okay. I think it should be both knees and both hands. Anything else? Anything else? I think should be fair game. What do you think about that? I don't know. I mean, for me, if you have a knee down, I think you should be downed. Okay. But I think if you have anything else, but let me refer. If you're again, if you're on your butt or if you're on a knee, one or both, you should be considered a downed opponent. Anything else, and this, so unless you meet those criteria, I think it's fair game. I think it should be fair game. Well, we can't really call it a rookie mistake like the Greg Hardy fight because John Jones is far and away from being a rookie. No, John is not a rookie. I again, there's two things about the. There's a couple of things. One is again, dirt, do you think he's a dirty fighter and not necessarily with PEDs? I mean, do you think he does dirty things inside the octagon? Not especially. Not more so than anyone else. Okay. In this case, I think the. I think what. Again, there's a couple of things that led to this. One was, again, the rules, because Nevada's rules in this instance were, we're keeping the old rules about a grounded opponent, but we're changing the language around but this has This language thing hasn't, it's, it's come up before multiple times, I feel like. And I mean, again, the, the lack of clarity generally is a real problem. Well, I won't completely put that on John Jones. Well, and the other the other important thing is about confusing, but my understanding is they do explain all this to the fighters before the fight. They do. They, there are there. The referee does go to each of the fighters and they do kind of go over the rules. So it's so hard. I, it's hard to give them an excuse there. So well, the big thing for me is that Anthony Smith is on his feet. Technically, his feet are on the ground. He is not on a knee. His hand is down, yes, and that's what makes him downed in this situation. But I think John threw the knee, kind of anticipating that hand coming up as Smith wall walks back up because he's in a crouched position on his feet ready to stand up. He simply chooses not to, largely, I think, to avoid getting hit in the head, but John expected him to. John threw the knee strike. I mean, if I think if Smith is clearly down on one knee during that exchange, I don't think John throws that strike. Considering how garbage he fought last night, Anthony Smith doing that and going ahead and, uh, and continuing the fight is the smartest career move he's made in his entire life. And you want to know why? The UFC and Dana White would not have forgiven him if he took the title on a DQ technicality. They would not. They would have made his life a living hell. And you they know. Just, they just would have booked the immediate rematch. <laughs> he would have. He may. He might have been champion on, on, a, on a technicality, but it would have been a rotten carrot. And I think you know that, Robert. Oh, I do. It's the same reason I don't really count Vitor Belfort as a former UFC champion, despite him do, winning so on or in a similar situation. Or Fedor ha- having had that what that DQ loss due to the cut? Yeah, I mean it, it's technically a loss, but it was such a weird situation that you kind of yeah right. It wasn't really a loss. Well, I mean it's still on the record. Books. Again, again, it's on record. I, I was not one of those guys who said he was like thirty and zero with one okay. no contest. Like no, no, it was a loss on the record but it books. Would be pretty, but... It would be it would be pretty lame if the second loss 
of John Jones's career is is like his first another another DQ another DQ and he loses the title and after everything he loses the title on a DQ and despite his awful performance and I think that was an awful performance by Anthony Smith I imagine the UFC is going to give him a nice little bonus check like say hey thanks for being a good sport and not taking the title on a DQ or in my opinion I would give him some sort of nice under the table bonus don't you think I don't know how the UFC does those things. They, if they, they want they to, do. we know. I, mean, do. I don't dis. I don't think. I, I don't dispute that it happens. I really don't. Okay. I well, don't I'm know that I would. They should give him something for doing that. They should. One would hope that being a person of integrity is rewarded at some point, but. Because Dana White, I mean, the the fight was not a great fight, but Dana White didn't have a bad word to say about it last night, and I think. I, I, I'm saying I'm I'm thinking arguably he would have been champion. He would have gotten a rematch against Jones, but would anyone have been on his side if he took the title that way? I don't think so. Uh, hard to say, given you know that John is John, and there's a lot of divided opinion right. about him. Not the best. It would not have been the best look, if nothing else. Again, where exactly the fan base might have landed, I couldn't tell you specifically. Okay. Where but- would have landed? Me? Uh, I mean, I'm not. I'm not exactly a. I. I don't become. I'm not really like fans of individual fighters at this point. In a lot of respects. That said, if Smith did kind of take it just to become champion, and I mean, I wouldn't have blamed him if he'd done it. Okay. At all. Okay. Well, my thought. I mean, before that foul, I was wanting the fight to get stopped just because. Smith's performance was awful. He wasn't listening to his corner. And he's saying he doesn't know what happened. I'll tell you what happened last night, Robert. He froze. He got the title fight. He got in there with John Jones. And he didn't do anything. He let John Jones basically do whatever he wanted to him this whole entire fight. All he did was just was not... I guess he defended the takedown some of the times. He only got taken down once, really, I think, and didn't really get finished, I guess. But other than that, he he didn't he didn't do anything. He didn't try to he didn't he didn't in the later rounds. He should have just tried something, but he had nothing. He had nothing he could do. There's a couple of things about this. He mentally quit. He mentally quit and he was frozen just like when Darren Till got in there with Tyron Woodley. I think in Smith's case, he more f- quit physically than mentally. He was, he looked mentally defeated the entire time. He never, he never believed he could, once he stepped in, in there against John Jones, he never believed he could win. Uh, there's two things that I think play into that. One is the body work of John, because that's just, I, I don't, I mean, it sucks to get pounded in the body like that is one yeah. of the most miserable he, he experiences. Picks in there. But he was still there. He was still there. I mean, he didn't look. He didn't look tremendously tired each time he answered the bell. He didn't look gassed. Um, he, he, he he tended to. Uh, I I won't say he gassed in the traditional okay. sense of like unable to do anything. Gassed. Considering his size and frame, he wasn't. He he didn't have his hands on his hips. He wasn't sucking wind. I don't feel like he, his gas tank was horrible. 
I've seen really bad gas tanks at heavyweight. I didn't really see that here. Considering he's a rather large fellow, he's got a big frame. Um, I think the issue with him was okay. more... Ener- it looked mental to me. I'm sorry. Some, uh, some of it was just paralysis because John is so good about overloading your brain mm-hmm. that you, you wind up trying to think about what he's going to do. We and- so- it, it looked like and it looked like some of those bad Anderson Silva fights. It looked like Talis Latis and who else? Damian Maya. It looked like he was just butt scooting and taking a powder at the end. He he it looked like before the everything leading up to the knee strike, the illegal knee, it looked like he wanted out of there. That's exactly how it looked. He did not want to be he wanted to be back home. Doing doing chores or or laying down concrete. He did not want to be in in a cage with John Jones. I mean, in fairness, being in a cage with John Jones is not where almost anyone. Well, that's wants what to he wants, but that's what he wanted. That's sure. what he came. He campaigned. He campaigned for this, and I was on his side for him to get it. And he didn't do a damn thing. All he did was was show good sportsmanship by not taking the DQ. That's all he did last night. That's the one thing I can this, say positively about his performance. I can say a couple of other things positively about his performance, but they came with a pretty significant trade-off. Such as? Well, his takedown defense was significantly better than it has ever been in his entire career. No, well, he was. I mean, he is a lot. I mean, he, he... John Jones historically has trouble taking down taller opponents, right? Yeah, not really. Okay. Uh, I mean, Anthony Smith, for context, Anthony Smith gave up, what, two takedowns in the fight with Vulcan Uzdemir? Okay. Uzdemir is not one-tenth the cage wrestler that John Jones is. Okay. John struggled a lot more with that because Smith worked on it. Uh, Smith's grip fighting, in especially in the clinch, was... This is a really, like, nitpicky thing that I know Nothing no one cares about. Looks significant. Uh, it was it was really good, and it was really important to stifling John's offense in the clinch. Because normally when John gets you against the fence like he had Smith, he is destroying you to the body. He, he is, had, John Jones had good offense in the clinch, though. Uh, he had, he had it, the it, better offense. Oh, yes. But, oh, he had the better offense between the two of them. But compare his offense here to, say, his offense in the Glover to share a fight. All right. It's one thing to stifle offense, but oh, no, you th- have th- to be able to deliver offense of your own. And he didn't have. He yeah, that's the counterpoint. Virtually I, I, none. I think Smith did a admirable job. If we're talking about just his performance versus his last performances of shoring up his weaknesses. Unfortunately for him, in shoring up those weaknesses, he also diminished his strengths. He diminished what made him good. Look, we saw... Look, this is why I make the Darren Till comparison. We saw that, like, Darren Till, it looked like he was so focused on defending that first takedown, he didn't know what else to do. And once he got in there, he was, like, frozen. Okay, Like, okay, I'm in here. I'm fighting for the title. How do I do this? And and it looks like he forgot and didn't know what to do. What what came next? He was mentally he was crippled. He was crippled with fear, just like Darren Till. He got he got the spot he wanted, and he didn't know what to do next. 
We've seen it, and we've seen it happen plenty of times before. Guys say they want the title shot, they think they want it, and then they get it, and they don't know what to do with themselves. Half of Anderson Silva's opponents were the same way. Yeah, and I, I think part of the other issue that one faces in this circumstance is you're not fighting. Okay. Uh, let, let me, I mean, you know, it's what, and we'll bring up, you know, Anderson's a great example. There were people calling out Demetrius there or, you know, John. And it's one thing to, with any of those, I mean, George, look how many people called out GSP when he was on top and just when they got in there had nothing. You're all, you're dealing with guys who are also stepping in to fight unbelievably special fighters. It's not about really having nothing. We know these guys are capable of more, Robert. Anthony Smith is certainly capable of more. We've seen it. He didn't really do anything. I mean, he's He's capable of more against a lesser level of opposition. I I don't know. Plenty of times we see lesser opposition winning fights they shouldn't win. Sure. Happened on this card. Happened against Matt Serra versus GSP. I mean, some guys. To some me, guys... It's, a, it's a faulty. It's a faulty notion, Robert. Oh, anyone, it's... anyone can beat anyone on any given night, and and that's a fact. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's, it's a, a large. It's a largely inflated fact. It's a it's fact that a ignores fa- a, a lot fact. of other facts. As Brian Stan says, you don't have to be the best. You just have to be better on that night. That is very. That is very true. And it really matters. And and look, we and saw being, one night we almost saw Vitor Belfort break John Jones's arm. Yep. He was within an eyelash of becoming the light heavyweight champion. And it didn't happen. But hey, Vitor almost knocked out Chris White. Then, even back then, I didn't consider Vitor a better fighter than John Jones. I'm sorry. He's not. He never. No version of Vitor has ever been anywhere near as good as John since he became champion. I, my point is, is, is Anthony Smith was a mental. He mentally shrunk last night, and he froze, and he was crippled with fear from fighting one of the greatest fighters ever, and he didn't know what to do with himself. No, and, he was. Too, he was entirely too concerned with defending himself from John than with right. doing than with getting and his own so offense. So was Darren off. Till, and so was Darren Till against Tyron Woodley. And I, I'm not sure that's what happened with Till. Talc Latus against Anderson Silva and his little butt scoot routine. Eh, Talus actually won rounds though. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. Yeah, that's like saying Patrick Cote won rounds against Anderson. No, no, Talos clearly won rounds. What round did he win? He had Silva mounted. I remember that fight. Are you sure? 100%. I don't remember. He mounted Anderson Silva for a non-trivial period of time. So so he might have won one round. One one judge had it fifty forty six, which was ridiculous. <laughs> well, I'd have to go back and watch. I don't remember latest doing anything significant in that. Uh, I think it, I can't remember if it was round two or three, but he got Silva down and had top position again. He had it well, mounted for a period any dam- of time. He probably didn't do any damage. Oh no, of course not. It's Talos latest. <laughs> but 
Like, but that round, Silva didn't do any right. damage of his own. Well, good for Smith. I say good for Smith for answering the bell after the illegal knee, but not good on him on just looking like hot garbage last night. Other than that. A, a very forgettable performance from him. Um, yeah, I, don't, I, I have no desire to ever see him in a title fight again. And I was, And you know what? I was rooting for him in this fight. A lot of people were rooting for him in this fight. To see, to see, because I think it's interesting to see a fighter who several years ago was nothing more than a a middle, a mid-level journeyman, a guy who was basically a strike force enhancement talent, just ri rise through the ranks of the light heavyweight division and, and get and get a contender slot. And he, to me, he just didn't make the most of it. He didn't make the most of his opportunity. And it disappoints me. Eh, that's fair. Uh, apparently, next for John is going to be uh, Tiago Santos. Not, it's not the worst choice. I don't think Johnny Walker's ready. Uh, no, but Johnny Walker, uh, and we'll get to him in a minute or two. Yeah. He he ought to be fighting top five guys. I, next. I, I don't think he's ready for top five yet. I mean, maybe he loses, but he just he just you know starched another top ten guy. Was Serkinov top ten? Uh, seven, I think. Well, it's still light heavyweight. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not disputing the thinness of the division here. That's light part of the reason. Actually, looking a lot better these days, but it's still like in in great in need of greater development. Let me see. Serkinov was 14, so no. Oh, 14. My my. Um, of that was so much higher. Oh, I, I know what I'm I would thinking. Maybe of. consider Amanua Latifi. Um, St. Prue, someone like that. There's got to be another relevant light heavyweight fight over the next couple of weeks. I like I, I like the Ilir uh, Latifi fight if you want to give him a top 10. I like that fight. That's a good... Uh, yeah, you could do Latifi. Um, you have Uzdemir versus Reyes in a couple of weeks. Uh, mm -hmm. you, could you could slot him in with the winner of that. Maybe. Unless it's Reyes. If it's Reyes, I, I think I you think move Dana him up. White says they want to bring him they don't they want to bring him along like gradually they don't want it sounds like they're not ready to throw him top five just seems excessive right now give him at least one more like lower level top 10 fight and then you can and then we'll see because look his first fight was a contender series fight so technically he's only three and oh in the ufc right now yep. and and this was but tiago santos is likely John Jones's next opponent, yeah. which makes sense. He's the last. He he finished Anthony Smith, and he's he, let's see. He's so he's eight and one. He's eight and one and nine in his last nine. Yeah, his only losses to David. His only loss in that streak is to David Branch. He's what three and zero at three and zero at light heavyweight. Yeah, and he's four and zero in his last wins. Three and three straight knockouts at light heavyweight. Yeah, and he and look, he, his last one was Jan Blahovic, but that but uh, Jan was that was the best run he'd had his entire UFC career, really. Jan was a Jan was top five, right? Yeah, well, if not, he was very close. I think that well, was like that was like five and six or six and seven fighting. Base, if memory base, serves. So. I think you could do worse. Um, I know some people probably want a bigger fight for Jones. Yeah, Blahovich was was number five. Okay. Um, 
But look, he beat Gustafsson. We're not, I mean, the Cormier fight doesn't. Re- I mean, look, Cormier's got other. He's got other things going on right now. Jones does not seem interested in fighting at heavyweight. If Jones is going to stick around at light heavyweight, I mean, the notion of a big fight just doesn't exist. There's just the next guy up. To me, I feel like we do have to rebuild Jones's reputation a little bit, considering just all the crap that's been going on with his career the last two years. So I'm fine if if they want to continue having him just crush opposition for a little while and just go from there. Yeah. I mean, again, if he wants to stay at 205, then there's not a super fight. It just doesn't exist. I mean, to me, it doesn't make sense to make to, to, to book him in a contender's fight at heavyweight, you know? That doesn't make sense. No, if he's going to move up to heavyweight, I think you just give him the title shot. And I don't think Cormier wants to fight him at heavyweight, and I don't think jo- Jones has said he doesn't want to fight him at heavyweight either. I mean... I would be interested in that fight, but I understand why neither of them wants it. And I mean, if you're going to do that, why not just give Stipe a rematch? Well, I mean, I, I know why, but I mean, it just seems like if you do Jones-Cormier again, it's just ask, it's just courting for trouble. I think it's just a bad idea. I don't think we we need to do that to the fans again. I don't think they're going to go that direction with it. I I Give think Cormier his little memorial Brock Lesnar fight. Let him retire, g- and then and then and then we can do all the whatever. Yeah, that's basically what heavyweight's going to do, I think, barring the unforeseen, of course. But you know, again, not the best fight of the in the world, not the worst fight. Was this the worst fight of the night? Hang on, no, no, it wasn't. I thought Torres Jong was not well. Whatever. Uh. Torres Jong was all right. Um, Cyphers and Viana was was a lot of meh. I okay. All right. So Stamen and Perez. Usman versus Woodley. Give us your expert analysis. Oh god, this fight. Can I just say the judging for this fight was terrible? I, I have to say this about the judging for Kamara Usman versus Tyron Woodley. Okay. Uh, Kamara Usman defeats. Hang on. Because 44s. Yeah. Not, not uh, accurate. Okay. Hang on. Usman defeats Woodley. Unanimous decision. 50-44, 50 Okay. Nevada specifically adopted the new scoring criteria, which states when considering giving a 10-8 round, you simply have to win it by a wide enough margin to merit a 10-8. That is, the, that is, I believe, the actual language used. Okay, but isn't that just the same as being high, highly dominant in a round? No. Haven't, haven't we had this discussion about 10-8s before, I feel like? A little bit, but the fact that one judge did not give Usman a single 10-8 round for this fight is ludicrous to Oh, me. okay, so, so you're upset that about the 50-45 is what you're saying. I'm kind of pissed about 5044 because that only gives Usman one 108. Oh, you're saying it should have been even lower for Woodley, is what? Yes. <laughs> oh God, I was 5043. I thought you were. I thought you were angry. The scores were too. I thought you thought you you thought the scores were too um, low. 
No, 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 no. Like not not only does not only did Kamaru Usman win each round, I gave him, I believe, three ten eight rounds, if not four. Uh, I'd have to go back, but I don't feel like Woodley won a single round in this fight. I mean, nobody thinks Woodley won a round. The question is, by what margin did Usman win the round? I mean, and to only give him a single ten eight. With the massive strike differential in a few of those rounds. Woodley was in a tremendous amount of danger at any point. Which is why they changed the language. Okay. It's not, In this instance, it's to not me, a... To me, you can still get a 10-8 if you're incredibly dominant. Is That's always been my view. If, you've, if, you, if you are being... And not necessarily just striking, but if you are just totally shutting down and just denying your opponent anything and just supremely dominating them, it should probably be a 10-8. Yeah. Wouldn't you agree? Which is, yeah, which is what the new okay. language largely reflects. Okay. Which is why I'm like, how can you not give Kamaro Usman a, at least one 10-8 round for this fight? Judge, you didn't. Huh. And to the other ones who only gave him one, what were you watching in rounds five and three that made you think, you know what, only 10-9? ridiculous. This was a lopsided shellacking. Kamaru Usman absolutely dominated Tyron Woodley from basically start to finish. You know what's interesting, though? Throughout his entire UFC career, Woodley's done this before, more than once. Where he's just asleep at the wheel. Yeah, it happens. Rory McDonald, Jake Shields. Uh, Shield, uh, I, Shields, yes. McDonald, no. Okay. I think I, I think in the McDonald fight, he tried stuff. He was just shut down by a better fighter. Shields, yeah. He, he went asleep. He fell asleep at the wheel in the Shields fight. Damian Maya and Steven Thompson. Um, second, first Thompson, yes. Maya, not so much, I think. I think Maya was just a... A lot of what he did in the Maya fight was just very subtle. Because, again, a lot of what he did for the Maya fight was a lot of uh, grip-breaking and hand-fighting that just went largely unnoticed but was extremely important to stopping everything Maya tried to do. Kind of nice way of saying boring, but okay. Don't get me, uh, don't get me wrong. I said it after the fact. Like, that fight sucked. But my it's- point is he has a habit of doing this throughout his career. And I think you would you you would have to even at least begrudgingly agree. Oh no, I agree. I, I might take issue with the, with some of the instances you cite, but the is point why is why I can't consider Woodley one of the greatest ever. And this is why people generally didn't like him as as a fighter or a champion, because he just comes and just doesn't show up, and I'll just and he look and he, and he and he looks flatter than Diet Coke. No, again, he's he's had fights that were just. Absolutely uninspiring to watch. That's very, very true. And he won. And he wonders why he's not a draw and not a money weight fighter. He's always acting like, and that, which also annoys people. You know. Look, a lot of the presentation of his personality was off-putting to a significant portion of the fan base. That's very true. That's like demonstrably true. Mm-hmm. Like you know, Ronda. Even I can't deny that Ronda Rousey said things publicly that turned the fans against her. But Ronda Rousey, more often than not, just destroyed women, you know? 
Yep. And that went a long way. That went a long way for her marketability and making her one of the biggest stars on the planet. Same with Conor McGregor, even though I think Conor McGregor's an utter embarrassment to the sport right now. Um, you know, it's not just talking the talk to me. It's just kind of giving a championship performance, which I think the only two times Woodley truly did that was against Lawler and Darren Till. But Darren Till was not at that level when he took that fight. I'm sorry. And he should not have been in there. Usman, I think, is going to hold this title for quite... I think he's going to hold it longer than Woodley. If... If Usman gets past his first two title defenses, I think he's in for a long reign. Those first two are going to be rather critical for him, though. Because here, here are his next possible opponents right now. Colby Covington. That seems to be the way they're going. I think Brett Okamoto was the one who reported that right. that's, that's what they're looking at. Which right. I favor, and that's a fight I, I favor Usman. I, fa- I highly favor Usman in that fight. Um, Darren Till, uh, George Mosvidal, I favor Usman highly against both those opponents. Wouldn't you agree? Him against Mosvidal would be interesting just because Mosvidal's very good about kind of stopping what you're doing. His fights aren't always the most interesting, but, <laughs> but I would, yeah, I would favor Usman over both of them. Ben Askren, Ben Askren. Interesting. That's the, mo- for my money, that's the most interesting option. Okay. Because Askren is such a good wrestler. And I still think I favor Usman there because look what he did. Look what he did. Look what he did to the division one wrestler last night. And everyone was saying, oh, division three can't take a division one Two. Usman or, was division two. Was he division? OK, but like, you know, everyone was talking about the gaps. I mean, and, and yes, sometimes that does matter, Robert. But we've seen time and time again that wrestle you can close the gap in MMA with well, wrestling. There's two things about that that I think are important. One, yes, largely Division One amateur wrestling is better than Division Two. That's just the way it is. Right, but it doesn't this also it doesn't always translate to MMA. I mean, look, if Usman and uh, Woodley were to just wrestle on a wrestling mat, I would probably favor Woodley. Quite frankly, I mean, this GSP's isn't this isn't wrestling. Arts, well, do you know what GSP's martial arts base was? It was karate. Oh, yeah. He was I, I a karate fighter. Sure, I'm aware. He wasn't I, a grappler, and and yet he became, and yet he became basically the best wrestler in his division. Out wrestled, out wrestled all the same. <laughs> for for a period of time. GSP was the best MMA wrestler in any division. Right. I mean, so by that logic, he should not have taken down or or been able to dominate someone like Josh Koscheck. Yeah, and, had, and or and Matt it, Hughes. And in fairness, I think if you take both of them in their prime and put them against GSP just on a wrestling mat in just straight amateur wrestling, I think it's I think it looks George might still yeah. beat them because George is such a freak. Right. But it looks very, very different. Right. I mean, so I mean, I'm just saying I'm just saying Askren does have just such a real he does have a very high level grappling game. And that would, I think, make the fight interesting. But honestly, just right now, looking at how they match up, I would still favor Usman. I would probably give Usman a slight edge. I mean, Usman has more documented power uh, in his punches. And Lawler, I still get, e- even against Lawler, 
I still give the edge to Usman, and I'll tell you why. Lawler has a lot of flaws in his game. Lawler kind of... Lawler can be a slow starter, and he has... And... I mean, last night, to me, he just... He was very awkward last night. I'm sorry. That whole fight was awkward. <laughs> it was, like, it looked like he, he blew his... Well, we'll get to that later, but... All of it, all the potential opponents I can see right now for Usman, I think I like Usman winning all of them. Now that he's got, I think Woodley was, I think Woodley was probably one of his tougher matchups, and he got past that. He had no problem dealing with Woodley. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't see him losing to anyone right now. Lawler, I think Lawler, I think in Askren just present the most problems because Law. Lawler, when he flicks the switch, is a mad, <coughs> is a madman. Absolute madman, and God uh, bless him for it. <laughs> and, and right, and Askren is he? Askren is an amazing athlete. He's an amazing athlete and wrestler. So, yeah, I still like Usman in all those fights. Yeah, I. You know, the toughest one for him might wind up being like Santiago Ponzinibbio as I look at the rankings. I mean, Ponzinibbio is very underrated. And what's I mean, been going, what has been going on with him? Um, he fought not too long ago. Off. I mean, he had an injury that he just... He fought Neil Magny. Okay, he fought and beat Neil. He knocked out Neil Magny. Yeah, that was the last time. We, that was... Okay, so that was November. Yeah, so he just had a period of inactivity and other guys kind of rose more to prominence right. than and he that did. Was that was his first fight in a year. Yeah, I I think he had an injury that he oh, wound up rehabbing. Was supposed to fight Usman. Yeah, they were scheduled for the uh was that the Argentina or the Chile card? Um he beat he beat Magni in Argentina. Okay, so it was, yeah, it was Chile because Damian Maya subbed for okay. Ponzinibbio and okay. Usman beat him. Okay, yeah, so Ponzinibbio I mean Ponzinibbio is very underrated. Ponzinibbio's got good power and good counter wrestling. But I would still pick Usman in that fight. Like I would pick Usman. I think I would too. Again, I'm just I'm looking at the rankings and I'm try, I'm seeing who else you know might pose an interesting problem. And I think Ponzinibbio is the next one that's yeah again interesting. Um, yeah. After after that, it's it's a lot of guys that need more experience at the at the highest level. I mean, I like uh, I like Capoeira, uh, Elizu Zaleski dos Santos because he's. Yeah. Uh, he's another kind of madman. Like Leon Edwards, but he needs more seasoning too. He's got a fight coming up. Um, yeah, at the he, London card. He's fighting. Um, crap, who's he fighting? But he's like he's like an up and comer. That's gonna bother me now. I have to look it up. He's fighting Nelson. Gunner. He's fighting oh, Gunnar Nelson. Nelson. Yeah, that's an interesting fight. Yeah, that that whole London card. And I like bad. and I like Nelson and I've liked Nelson for a long time. I just I'm just not sure if he's ever going to get back to that contender level. Yeah. It, again, like Usman is primed for a significant reign if he gets by the next I, I think if he gets over the next two. And I, I don't and I don't care who it's all it almost doesn't matter who they are. Those first two title defenses are usually the toughest. If you get over those first two, you tend to be in for a little bit. Is this is this Norwegian wave? Uh, what did I say? Nigeria. I'm sorry. I was thinking about Gunnar Nelson. Nigerian. It's Icelandic anyway, not <laughs> Norwegian. Is this night? I'm sorry, I said that. Uh, okay. Is this Nigerian wave a real thing? You think? 
I think there's a significant anytime you get a new market kind of opening up, you get a lot of especially I hate I hate to say it this way because it sounds almost demeaning, but especially when you open up markets that are developing nations. Mm-hmm. You, the history of people making their making a living fighting inherently appeals that that is a profession inherently appeals to the poor because if you're rich why would you fight well i mean i i think it's a it's a legitimate point because i think it's the same for brazil too because because yeah. uh, a lot oh, yeah. of, a lot of good fighters were just came came out of poverty yeah came out of the slums in the favela i mean um anderson silva i think was one Vanderlei Silva. I mean, the whole Shootbox Academy. Um, right. A lot of the Novo. I mean, Jose Aldo, for God's sake. I think the exception, the exceptions are like a Damian Maya or a Shogun, who probably, who I think came from like a higher. I'd have to double check. Like Shogun, but yeah. like I think, I think they came from more well-off families. Is what I'm. I'm not trying new. I'm not trying to demean or or insult like people's like um, upbringing. I but. This is, no, you, this, is again, this, is, this is just an observable fact. You get more, any group and, you know, previously, if you look at like the history of boxing in America, it actually started with like the great Jewish boxers right? and then the Irish. And then, it, you know, it, it, it just appeals to a lot of the, the people who don't have a whole lot of other opportunities presented to them. So if you get places like, you know, Nigeria or the, I mean, you know, there's a bunch of great Filipino boxers for a lot of the same reason. Right. When you get these markets opening up and you start getting guys who have the aptitude and who get the training, you're going to get, you know, kind of waves like this of different you know groups. I'm not ready to call you know, a whole Nigerian wave necessarily, but, You've got you know Usman's you know in a prime position to kind of you know inspire that type of movement. Well, I guess it, it, well, I mean, technically, I guess technically, Adesanya, I don't think he was raised in Nigeria, though he's Nigerian born. Yeah, he but, was born in Nigeria, but raised in uh, New Zealand. Right. He is. He's fighting for the interim title next, but I like his chances. I think it, it, it depends on how Adesanya hands out i think and i th- i think if he wins then people are going to be talking about it a lot more that's true if you get two of them in in what like a three-month span of time you get two of them that do okay. that that's that's a big deal the Sonya fights in six weeks so less than two months two th- so yeah within two yeah that's that would be a big thing that would be a really big thing But yeah, I'm looking forward to what Usman does next. Again, they seem to be leaning towards Colby. And you know what? Go for it. I'm okay with that fight. I really am. I mean... It's... It, I, Colby, I think you might as well, just because Wood, Woodley lost. And, I, I mean, I laughed a little bit when Woodley said, I'd like to run it back. I mean, look, I think... I genuinely think Woodley is probably the second best welterweight ever. And I'm not, I don't want to get it. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't want to debate the point. I mean, it, it, but there's no basis for giving him an immediate rematch after this fight. Second best welterweight ever is Matt Hughes. It's not, no, it's not Matt. Yes, yeah, I don't think it's Matt Hughes. Matt Hughes. Matt Hughes never beat anyone on anything approaching the level of opposition that Woodley faced. BJ Penn. 
young hold on, he beat young GSP. Not not to diminish it. Okay. After after he lost a round. One of his only two losses in his career. Yes. Okay. And then he lost two and a half and then he lost two rounds to BJ Penn and then BJ Gaston he beat him. Yeah. Those are the be- those are the only quality a wins. Former, a former a former UFC and well a former two divisional UFC champion. Yeah. Two divisional champion. Sure. And everyone that Tyron Woodley had Great, that Tyron Woodley has beaten. Everyone that Tyron Woodley beat in his title reign was better than everyone GS than everyone I'm Matt sorry. Hughes beat. Erroneous. Darren Till. No. Darren Till would absolutely destroy at least three of the people that no. Matt Hughes defended. You no. really think Sean Shirk has a chance in hell of beating Darren Till? Yeah. Best ever version of Sean Shirk gets massacred. Sean Shirk is a Till. former lightweight champion. Sure. Merit matters. I'm not saying Sean Shirk sucks. Merit matters. Merit matters. Look, I'm not saying I'm not saying Sean Shirk is like the worst fighter ever. I'm saying him at welterweight, even his best version, Darren Till would destroy him. Darren Till. Darren Till is five and one. Frozen his first title fight. Had nothing for Tyrone Woodley. Has never won a UFC title in his career. Sean Shirk is a UFC champion. So I call erroneous. Yeah, and if we're talking about lightweight, I wouldn't be making the point. We're talking about welterweight. Welter, yeah. Melter, Look at Sean Shirk's... It's Matt Hughes. It's Matt Hughes. It's not Matt Hughes. Matt Hughes had it's more... In- ridic- ridiculous. Matt Hughes had ridiculous. more engaging fights. I will absolutely give you that. 100%. Carlos Newton. No, really? Yeah. You're going to bring up Carlos Newton? Frank Frank Trigg. Was Frank, Tr- Frank Trigg was not champ. No, 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 no. So, so, oh, sorry, sorry. Hang on, hang on. I completely missed I'm talking about it. opponents. You're talking about GSP. opponents. GSP, Frank Trigg, BJ Penn. Frank Trigg never beat anyone who was any good. Sean Shirk. Sean Shirk was a meat. Frank was the Trigg most- beat... Um, where where is it? He beat Kazuo Musaki when he was like top top like top ten in the world. Musaki was a blown up lightweight. So he still beat him. Musaki again, was coming off a win over Dan Henderson. Yeah. Look, he, I'm not look, I'm yeah, not so that put that put him high up in the rankings and Frank Trigg beat him. He dominated him. Am I confusing Masaki with someone else? You're saying... I, I'm, you're hang saying, on, I might be. Hang Frank on. Frank never beat this. anyone good in his life, is what you said. That's what I said. Hang on, I'm trying not, to remember technically, technically, factually not accurate. I'm trying to remember Masaki. Hang on. He was a middleweight. 185. Uh, it was pride. He was smaller than that. He fought it. He fought... Well, whatever. He fought in Dan Henderson's division in pride and beat him. So... At a time when Dan wasn't all that good. Hang on. Oh, come on. He was the two-divisional champion. Not that not many- at, Hang on. Not champion. at that time. He was champion at the time. Why did he lose the belt? Huh? Why didn't he lose the belt? Because it was a torn. It was the Grand Prix tournament. It was a non-title fight. It was Grand Prix. Did Anderson win that whole thing? He 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 won. He he beat Misaki the first time and lost a re- lost a rematch. Okay. 
Uh, okay, so Frank Trigg beat one guy who was any good. Sean Shirk. Sean Shirk Four was the most... Hold on, hold on. Let me qualify this. Okay. Sean Shirk was the most mediocre welterweight possible. Okay, so... So I don't care... for the title, and then became a lightweight champion. He fought for the title because the division kind of sucked. All right. Look, if we're we're talking about... And he beat GSP. And BJ Penn, a two-divisional champion in his division and lightweight. Who he also got smoked by twice. No. Robert, the... It says knockout, knockout win over BJ Penn. So he beat, he be, at the time, he beat one of the only guys to ever beat him. Yes. So you're, you're, you're putting all, this BS, all these BS qualifiers. You're trying, you're trying to demean Matt Hughes' career, and I'm not going to stand for it. I mean, for whatever value you want to assign Matt Hughes' career, okay. Yeah, higher than, higher than Tyron Woodley's. I th- more important, yes. He was a better champion than Tyron Woodley ever was. Yes. I, I would yes. completely disagree with that. One, two, three. He had four title defenses in his first run. Won the vacant title from GSP. Beat Frank Trigg. Uh, Joe Riggs, Hoist Gracie, beat, and BJ Penn after he had beaten him, after he had lost the title to him before. That's an impressive record. I'm sorry. Uh... The hoist win, it means dick. All right, whatever. Um, look, I'm sorry. The hoist, the whole hoist fight was a joke. You're say- but you're saying that Darren Till is like better than all of Matt Hughes' opponents. To me, George St. Pierre alone, even a young George St. Pierre is higher level than fucking Darren Till in his first fight with Woodley. That's, uh, that's ridiculous. You make it hold sound. On, hold on, I got to think about that. You're making you're making it sound like Darren Till is like this this up and com- and he's going to be like this multi divisional, freaking Conor McGregor, crap. Or, and look, I like Darren Till, but he's nowhere near that level yet. Hang on, I got to think about the BS qualifier. No, no, no. Hang on, you brought up a valid point. Let me think about GSP, where he was in his first title fight against Hughes, versus where Till was in his first okay. title fight against Woodley. All right, let's go. Let's go back and look. First fight against Hughes. One, two, three, four. He was four and uh, he he was um, hadn't lost ever. Uh, hadn't he had what four fights was, in the UFC? Seven zero. He was seven and zero, two and zero in the UFC. He beaten who was it? Jay Heron and um, Carl oh, Parisian. Okay. Who were fairly decent fighters at the time. Yeah, Heron's largely underappreciated because he got styled on by GSP. And Paris, I mean, Parisian was never that good, but he benefited from the state of the sport at the time. Right. Versus Tills. Okay, okay. No, that, that's fair. Okay, Darren Till would beat the majority of Hughes' opponents, not all of them. I don't, I, honestly, I don't know. Would he be I don't, honestly? Would he have even beaten Frank Trigg? I'm not sure. Yes, I don't think so. One hundred percent, yes. Frank Trigg was a unidimensional he, the, fighter with no. Tyron Woodley was the first time we saw Darren Till fight a wrestler, and he froze like a deer in the headlights. So yeah, and so Tyron's also an exceptional wrestler with very very heavy punching power. Frank Trigg is an exceptional wrestler. Frank Trigg was an average wrestler. He was a good wrestler. He was an average wrestler at a time when 
most people in MMA didn't know how to actually wrestle. What was his What was his wrestling background? I mean, he wrestled in college. He just was mediocre. I mean, to me, you're just trying. You're just trying to insult Matt Hughes in his. Look, man, I don't have to insult Matt Hughes. He does a fine job of that himself. Look, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna deny that. But this is not about the man. The man as a person. This is even as. This I know. That's why I didn't bring it up. Merit. It's about merit and it's about career merit. Matt Hughes smokes BJ. Matt Hughes smokes Tyron Woodley easily. Easily. I, I completely disagree. You and not to mention the fact you yourself said he should have lost to Stephen Thompson the first time. Yeah, I stand by that. Okay, so then then that alone means you, that alone that alone to me that alone to me disqualifies your point. No, I yeah yeah. Look, so you benefited from a judging error. Happens all the time. Okay. When did Matt Hughes the the one time? All right, the one time Matt Hughes did that was probably against Carlos Newton. Yeah, Matt Hughes absolutely benefited from that erroneous call by the referee in the Newton fight. All right, so I'm not saying Matt Hughes is the worst champion ever. He he was easily better than Tyron Woodley. No. Absolutely not. Absolutely, yes. Okay, I mean, look, let's take this to its logical conclusion then. Are fighters now better than fighters then? Is is success in contemporary MMA more difficult than success in MMA when Hughes was on top? Mm. The answer is yes. The answer is categorically yes. Consequently... Achieving high success in MMA now makes you better than everyone who came before you. Okay. My point is, my point is he only has three title fights he actually won after he won the title. Damian Maya, the only former champion he beat was Robbie Lawler. I'm not sure the relevance of that point. Because there was only one prior. I mean, Johnny Hendricks. I, 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 hold on, my hold on. point is, I believe Matt Hughes had the tougher opposition. I think he did have the tougher opposition. I think that's profoundly inaccurate. Okay, who had the tougher opposition, Fedor or Stipe Miocic? Stipe. Okay. Unquestionably. Who had the tougher opposition, Fedor or Cain Velasquez? Which part of Kane's career? Any part. Uh, if we're talking early, early in Kane's career, Fedor. Championship careers. Championship careers. Yeah. Contender level. You know, there's actually an argument for Fedor. I mean, for a very simple reason, Kane, the entire Kane's entire championship reigns, he fought three people. Okay. He fought Junior. And I Bigfoot. Can't, I can't submit. I, I can't submit to this idea that Woodley was a second best ever. He just I doesn't. Can't. He doesn't. He doesn't have the record or the wins or the opposition. I don't see it. I mean, again, if you're talking about who, a st- which level of opposition acquired more accolades within their time period, then sure, Hughes fought in a time period when it was, it was easier. It, it was still a competitive division. 
Yeah, he also fought in a time when the sport was not as good. Okay. The average level of fighter there was, was still good. Fi- they were still good. T- they were still tough fighters. I'm still- look. Let me be clear. Yeah, I am absolutely comparing generational talent. I'm saying. I mean, th- this. That's I, like. Here's what I'm saying though. Woodley's best win by far in his championship run was Darren Till, and I am still no, no, not no. his Darren- best. His best performance was the Darren Till fight. All right, his best that's his best performance. And sure. I'm still not convinced Darren Till is a good is a really good elite level fighter. I am not convinced of that. Look, in contemporary MMA, Aya is a one-dimensional. He is he is by far a one-dimensional opponent. Yes. And I to me that win was not impressive beating a guy like Damian Maya. Well, look, here's my point. And this is why I think the way I do about this. Okay. If we take Darren Till, who is, we're not, and in contemporary MMA, I agree with you. I'm not sure he's a genuine championship level competitor. I absolutely agree with that point. If you you take Darren Till and you drop him in MMA 20 years ago, he kills everyone. I'm not sure I agree. Because the sport now is so much better. From a technical perspective, from a strategic perspective, from a you athletic see, perspective. When we talk about what ifs, it's like you can only prove a what if if it actually happens. No, I, no, no. I'm talking it's about the specific level of general talent in the sport. I, I had had Woodley, had he beaten, had he looked better against Usman and won this fight, I think maybe you could make an argument. Now and well, if, was, if Woodley won this fight, unquestionably he's the second best. To me, it's que- it's questionable. It's questionable to rate him the second best. I have it right now. It's de- it's still George St. Pierre easily at number one. By a Matt mile. Hughes, and, huh? George by a mile. Right. <laughs> Matt Hughes is easily number two. Nah. I don't, think I don't think it's easy to call Hughes the second best anymore. It is very, it's very easy, and I do, and I just did. So all right, look, Hughes is the. All right. Hughes the getting, all right, I think you have your view on this. I have mine. Let's put a pin on it and move on. All right. Uh, speaking of welterweights, Olympic Slam. We got, we saw Kurt Angle Olympic Slam last night. That was pretty cool. Yeah, this fight, man. This was weird. <laughs> they could have easily stopped that fight in the first minute. They could have. We've seen fights get stopped over less. So yeah, a little bit of leaning, a little bit that it was a crazy fight, a little bit of leniency by Herb Dean. I didn't have a problem with the stoppage. To me, all this thumbs up business is just, it's not really clear to me. He even had his thumbs up and he was giving the ref a thumbs up and it looked like his. It looked like he went out to me, and his arm went clearly limp. I think I know the difference between a relaxed arm and an arm going limp. And and Robbie Lawler looked like it went out to me. And everyone says, "Oh, he stood right up." How many Robert? How many times do we see fighters standing right up after a knockout? We see, we we've seen it happen plenty of times. Knockout isn't the same as being choked out. Okay. They're fu- they're, like they are fundamentally it, it, different physiological processes. It looked like he was in a choke, and he did he did get and he did black out. Is what it looked like. Why am I wrong? Well, 
Hang on. Well, first of all, as far as the action goes, Ben Askren wins via technical submission 320 of the first round. Um, yeah. Very early, Ben Askren shoots in on a single leg. Uh, kind of gets Lawler down. Lawler gets back up. Askren spins around behind him. Lawler, because he is a madman, uh, reaches around, uh, hooks one of the legs, and as Jeff mentioned, does a very... Like, if a Japanese professional wrestler did the angle slam, this is what it would look like. It's high up, and it comes down very at a very steep angle onto, like, the back of the head and the neck. Right. Um, badly stuns Ben Askren. Lawler tries to swarm him. Askren, and you, the, this could have been stopped during that flurry, and I don't know too many people that would have complained. Askren somehow recovers. <laughs> Does enough to show the ref he's still there. The ref decides to let it go. He forces another clinch. He gets around kind of behind Lawler. He winds up wrapping up what appears to be a bulldog choke. And I say what appears to be because I haven't seen a camera angle that really shows it's around the neck. And for those of you who don't know, a bulldog choke is... Basically, that kind of like schoolyard, if you get a headlock and you just kind of get really around the neck, uh, but instead of around the head, you're really around the neck and you've got them kind of their head in your armpit, uh, the old, you know, the, the bully schoolyard thing, that, that's a bulldog choke. And they work. It's a, it's a very legitimate technique. Uh, Uriah Faber's one with it. Um, Raquel Pennington choked out Ashley Evan Smith with a bulldog choke. It, it's, it's a very real technique. This isn't a, you know, a gimmicky thing. And Ben Askren gets a hold of Woodley's head and starts to squeeze. And Lawler appears to go out. And the referee stops the fight. Lawler immediately looks up like, you know, what the hell, Herb? And here's my thing about this. I don't think this was a good stoppage based on all available evidence we have now. That said, I know how, I, I know why it happened. Because watching this live, I thought Lawler was out. And now I'm not the ref, and refereeing is one of the most difficult things you can do. Like, it, refs get nothing but mountains of crap, minimum pay, and, ha and have one of the most difficult jobs in sports you can have. In this instance, the reason I think it's a bad call is, A, I don't think Robbie Lawler was out. I, and again, this, this largely comes up after the hold gets released. After Herb tells Ben, we're st you know, he waves off the fight, let him go. He lets go, and there's two major things that don't happen that should happen if you are choked unconscious. One is Lawler's body doesn't move. If he's actually out cold, when Askren lets go, at a minimum, his weight should sag backward because there's no muscular tension. You're unconscious. Your body goes limp. That, that doesn't happen. His body, does, he's very clearly holding himself up under his own power in this position. The other thing is the immediate clarity of both thought and mind that Lawler has. I don't know how many of you out there have been choked out. Hasn't happened to me very often, but you don't look up immediately and you don't, you don't have that. You're fuzzy. You're really kind of like, 
because it's a blood flow issue. Your brain has been deprived of oxygen from a functional perspective. It does take a few seconds. You, a lot of times you see people, you know, their, their eyes are open, but there's nobody home. They kind of shake themselves. They ask what happened. They don't immediately respond to, to the scenario in front of them. Now, again, that being said, if I'm not sure that if I'm in Herb's place, I don't do exactly what Herb Dean did. And that doesn't make it a good call. Because I, I do think this was a bad stoppage. But I know why it happened the way it happened largely. And much as it sucks, and it really does, in a lot of respects, especially if you're Robbie Lawler, I look at the situation and I know, and I'm, again, I'm not, there's other situations when I've yelled at referees about stoppages or non-stoppages that I look at those and I go, clearly anyone with a functional brain in this scenario does not do what you do, ref. Here, I'm not sure that's clear. Herb reaches out to check Lawler's arm. Now, the laxing parts of your body, especially when you're being choked, is something you do. Part of, uh, if you want to escalate the, the, you know, how fast you get choked out, increase your heart rate. See what that does for you when you're being choked. It, it makes it go faster. You want to escalate your heart rate, tense your muscles. 100%, just the act of flexing increases your heart rate. It's actually one of the tenets of, uh, I think, DDP yoga is that you do a lot of stuff with full muscular tension because your heart rate goes up. You're just demanding more blood flow to your body. So if you're being choked, generally, but you're in a good spot to defend and you want to let your opponent burn their arms out, you relax. It's what you do. <laughs> it's a genuine strategic decision to make. When Herb reaches and feels the arm, while the arm is based on what I can see. Now, maybe Herb felt something that I didn't feel. Again, I'm not the one in there shaking Robbie's arm. I'm watching his arm being shaken. It doesn't go that limp. There's there's a fair amount of still kind of tension there, and there's an angle on the replay that I believe shows uh, Robbie giving a thumbs up, like, no, I'm still here. I'm still good. That Herb either didn't see or chose to disregard. Now, if the referee sees it and chooses to disregard it based on the circumstance, fair play. I think thumbs up when you're being punched are pointless because that's not, that's not a very relevant standard. Again, the standard is uh, intelligent defense. The fact that you're still conscious is not always of the greatest consideration. When you're being choked, by contrast, it's a really good way to show, nope, I'm still here, I'm good. If the referee sees that, if you give the thumbs up and then you pass out anyway, I mean, fine. And maybe that's what it looked like happened. Again, I, I don't, again, bad stoppage, but under the circumstances, understandable, given how things have transpired. Um, credit to Ben Askren for surviving that first onslaught, because that that is, I mean, the fact that he was able to even mount the offensive, whatever you think about the stoppage, that he came back from being dumped on his head and punched in the face by Robbie Lawler for as long as he was is incredible. Uh, you know, credit to Lawler for not starting slow. Dude came out and looked to fight and then, you know, had the, and again, sucks for Robbie. I also want to give Lawler credit for, 
if you watch just him after the stoppage, he looks at Herb and kind of goes, what, you know, WTF. And then instead of getting, I mean, like, like snapping your fingers almost, he goes from angry about the situation to, well, all right, that happens. I'm not going to get mad at Herb. And Misha Tate says her fight against Kat Zingano was a bad stoppage and says she wasn't done. I know. And I, I tend to, for me, that carries less weight when you're being struck as opposed to when you're in a submission hold. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, I mean, look, the number of fighters who will actually own a stoppage, like if they're, unless they're genuinely unconscious is very, very small. I mean, Jose Aldo. And as for one, Robbie Lawler was submitted. Yeah, that is the, again, this, this was a technical submission, but that's why technical submission as a term exists. That's why there's a difference between a technical knockout Robbie and Lawler an actual knockout. He has himself to blame for what happened here. He blew his wad, and he clearly, he clearly was having trouble when he failed to finish Ben Askren and failed to get the job done. Uh, rumor, uh, the noise seems to be they're just going to do an immediate rematch. We'll see. Ben Askren isn't interested. I know he. Uh, I know he says that. And said it, he said he passes, but Dana White has a way of making you do things you don't want to do. I mean, yeah. Again, he said that, and I think it's probably not the first thing he want. That's not like the first thing on his mind is, boy, I'd sure love an immediate rematch with Robbie Lawler. But you know, money and uh, pressure from the brass can change minds. It has in the past. I mean, it will in the future. He made disclosed three hundred fifty thousand last night. I mean, that's not. That's a lot of money. I mean, it's. I would say that's not chump change, considering. Not at all. Career. That's more than a quarter of a million dollars. Yeah, before taxes and before other taxes, fees, but yeah. yeah. I mean, everyone has. Everyone has that, you know. Yeah. Well, it's not just before taxes. It's it's also everyone, before everyone's got to pay taxes, including people who don't who don't who make a fra- including people who make a fraction of that much. You know, unless you're in Congress. Don't get me started. <laughs> uh, I, I know. Um, well, no, I mean, it, it's not only before taxes. It's also before you like gotta, you got to admit that Lawler was clearly struggling a little bit when he failed to finish Askren. I think you have to admit that. Uh, I haven't rewatched the whole fight. I've watched again some clips of it because uh, there's a few things I wanted to double check. It looked like it looked like he he was starting to gas to me. I mean, he ex- I'll put it like this: he had unloaded, and at a minimum, he was in a reloading process because <laughs> I, I mean, Ben Askren is not a small human being, and he, he heaved him overhead. He's not a person with bad cardio. No, no. Ben Askren can fight, you know, a long time. Uh, ben Askren says he wants to fight the Masvidal versus Darren Till winner. You know, I mean, I'm down for that fight. I'm down for if they want to, if they can make the rematch happen, the immediate rematch, I can live with it. Okay. Him, him versus Masvidal or Till, I'm fine with that. I, I like Ben Askren just kind of being in the UFC. I spent a lot, I looked up a lot of his fights you know, especially when he went to war. I think he should have been brought in five or six years ago. I think it was silly not to bring him in. 
Based on merit, absolutely, he should have been in the UFC. Now, while maybe ago. he wasn't going to be the most. Maybe he wasn't going to be in the barn burners. But I feel like okay, he's he's a he's a wrestling champ. He's an he's an NCAA champion. A former Olympian, Olympic wrestler. I mean, undefeated. Undefeated. Bring the guy in. I mean, you don't have. I'm not saying you have to pay him. Uh, I'm not saying you have to pay him what you're paying him now. But I mean, I think it would have made more sense to bring him in six years ago when he's younger and a better prospect than 34 and has less years left in his. It's stupid. I don't. I just don't get it. I I don't understand like what. Like why he couldn't have been brought in six years ago? It's uh, because he and Dana Whitehead. I don't think he because I don't I don't feel like he considerably got better in those last six years, Robert. In some just, in some ways he did. I mean, I don't know. I mean, who did he fight in those last six years? Well, it, hang on. This is less about level of opposition because did he well, get better? I'm yes. not sure he did. He did. There's <laughs> bear in mind when I say he got better. It's largely just things he was doing. If you look at him by the time his Bellator run his wraps up, with Shinya Aoki. In what? No, no. In one, yes. Jumped up lightweight. A jumped up lightweight. No, 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 no. Hang on, no, no. It's not Shinya Aoki. Actually, it's someone you. I would get. I would bet money you don't know who it is, and not just you specifically. That's not a shot. Who? Um, who is that Russian guy? Uh, Nikolai that, Alex. Has no, no. Uh, no, no, no. Um, Alex Sockin. Alex Sockin. Alex Sockin. He is tearing things up right now. Actually, that guy is. Um, he he's become very legitimate. Mm. That's that's probably his best win in all of one in all of his one run. A Russian fighter who's beaten a bunch of no name opposition. So I can't really agree. Oh, with hold you. on. I, again, I'm not talking about just his level of opposition here. Okay. When I say he got better, I mean he's he's um he adapted okay. his skill set better over that period of time. Maybe he did. Maybe he did. I'm willing to cop to that, but I still feel like it it didn't make any sense to try to bring him in six years ago. No, I agree. I would when he left Bellator, I wanted him in the UFC, and I'm one of those guys who rolled his. Who, I rolled my eyes at a few of his other fights. I'm not going to lie; I didn't know as much then as I. I didn't now. really lo- like his fights either, but I f- I think he was deserving of of the opportunity, just the opportunity, at least one fight. Let's just see to just see how he does. I, don't even book him on the main card. Book him on like a prelim fight and just let him like let him sink or swim. Yeah, I, I agree, and. Again, what he did in one was, again, his level of opposition was not great, but he ref- he wound up refining a lot of his personal game. And okay. that does have value. Might have, I have not really watched those fights, but I think he did okay here. I mean, he, I mean survived, I, he survived an onslaught from Robbie Lawler, and I mean, not a lot of guys are able to do that. I mean, that put... Put almost anyone else in the division in the same spot, you know, after getting dumped on their head and then pounded on from half guard, and they're probably done. Okay. I, 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 I give Askren a lot. Again, I stoppage aside. Again, stoppage aside, Askren's, you know, ability to regain himself after all that trauma and mount offense is, imp- is you know, incredibly I just, impressive. I still can't justify, though, trading Demetrius Johnson for a 34-year-old Ben Askren, though. Look, the UFC's... Doing away with flyweight. They don't see a lot of value in Demetrius. And frankly, 
Ben Askren, you know, again, advanced age aside, after this fight and the, you know, the fan following he garnered by being a very effective and mostly amusing troll on you know Twitter and whatnot. Look, I love Demetrius. I would rather watch Demetrius, all things considered. There's a very real argument to be made that right now Ben Askren is more valuable to the UFC than Demetrius was. Hmm. And I don't, bear in mind, I don't like that, but I'm not going to pretend it's not all possibly right. a thing. Um, again, I'm fine with either of those for Ben Askren. I mean, just Ben Askren versus, you know, anyone in that division I am interested in. I like watching Ben Askren fights sure. and I know that, you know, again, there's a lot of people that don't and fair play. Okay. There's a lot of fights. There's a lot of, you know, other fighters that other people are, you know, gung ho about that. I don't especially care for. I mean, Yair Rodriguez comes to mind immediately, but yeah, I'm I'm interested to see how he does in the UFC. And, you know, welterweight's a good division generally, and I think he makes a good addition to it. We'll see. Um, I don't know. Again, like, R- Lawler wants a rematch. I mean, I'm down with, you know, Robbie Lawler fighting whoever. You know, Robbie's, Robbie's always good for a largely entertaining fight. But, um, man, Lawler's... How old is he? I mean, because Lawler's 36, man. Jeez. And he's he's older than Askren, and he has more miles on his body than Askren does. And we better enjoy the insanity of Robbie Lawler for as long as we can, because I don't think we're going to have him around the UFC too much longer. I mean, he's not as broken down as other fighters, some other fighters on this card, but... Dude just came off a significant layoff due to an ACL injury, and he's on his first losing streak in his since his return to the UFC. I mean, whatever you think about the stoppage aside, that's that's kind of a rough spot for him. Uh, all right, moving on, we had Weili Zhang defeating Tisha Torres via unanimous decision, one twenty nine twenty eight and 237s. Um. You know, I kind of like Zhang. I mean, the way, I mean, the fact that she armbarred um, Jessica Aguilar the way she did was impressive, and here she basically did to Tisha what Tisha normally does to other people. Uh, I'm I'm not saying you should you know put Zhang into the title picture right now. I don't. I still think she might be a little bit unrefined for that, but I think she's definitely a good addition to the division at this point. She's 3-0 and in the UFC. She's beaten a steadily increasing level of opposition. She's on a 19-fight winning streak overall. I mean, this fight wasn't gangbusters or anything, but uh, Zhang's, you know, a pretty solid all-around fighter, all things considered. Uh, I, I know you'd mentioned you weren't especially impressed with this fight, Jeff, but do you have any other... Yeah, you have anything you wanted to bring up about it? Nope. All right, and kicking off the main card. This fight. I was, oh, God, I'm so torn about this fight because on the one hand, it was wildly entertaining. On the other, it was profoundly frustrating. Uh, Pedro Munoz defeats Cody Garbrandt via knockout, uh, 452 of the first round. Um. 
this fight was pretty wild. I mean, the for for three and a half minutes or so, it's largely Cody Garbrandt dictating the pace. It's him landing pretty good punches, moving in and out. Uh, Munoz's offense is largely uh, relegated to leg kicks. And in fairness, they were good leg kicks. I'm not going to bury the guy. Then Pedro kind of shoots on a double leg or he just ducks in uh, while crashing distance. And as he's right and he and Cody just smack heads, his head winds up coming up under Cody's chin. I, I seem to recall. He winds up on top in half guard based on the headbutt. Uh, he gets back up, but after that, Cody stops actually fighting like anything resembling an intelligent human being. Uh, just bull rushes forward. Not the first time he's done that. Not the first time he's done that. Just bull rushes forward, swinging hooks. He and Pedro Munoz go full-blown roadhouse, rock'em, sock'em robots, whatever metaphor you want to use here. Is whatever Cody works Garbrandt for you. A one-hit wonder? Oh, God. Cody Garbrandt is now, is now in the discussion for three different... Is now in three different discussions that you never want to be in. How do, like How does he have, like... How does he dominate Dominic Cruz and then just... One of the... Uh, he goes from one of the most sublime performances. Yeah. Because that, that fight against Cruz is one of the most beautiful things you will ever it's see. It's not really a fluky win. No. Like, I mean, just complete. Yeah, that's not, again, flukes tend to be stoppage related. He won at least, he won at a minimum four rounds of that fight. And one of them was a 10, eight. That's not a fluke. That, that was, again, one of the most sublime fights you'll ever see. Then has a great five minutes against TJ. I don't think TJ landed anything of relevance the entire first round of their first fight. That was, a, again, a great first round. And then just the wheels fall off. But you now have to put Cody Garbrandt into three different negative discussions. One is one hit wonder. Because I think, again, I he's still young there's still time for things to change, but right now he's in that discussion. Two is propensity for dumb decision making. I mean, the only guy I think of, I can think of off the top of my head who has as consistently made as bad a decisions, as bad decisions as Cody has made is Chris Weidman. Weidman, who has lost at least. Weidman lost it. Weidman at least had three title defenses, though. Yeah, Weidman had a couple of title defenses, which brings me to the other category Cody Garbrandt now well, might I occupy. Think, I, I mean, the thing is, I don't think you can make Weidman number one because he was champion defend, and defended it three times. Hold on. You can make the argument for Weidman because we're not talking about, like, overall success. Okay, it's you just can... your ability to make stupid decisions. Okay. And... Weidman, again, the wheel kick against Rockhold, one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. Um, the second and third rounds of the UL Romero fight, he just stops doing everything that he did in the first round that was leading him to success. And ditto the Jacare fight where he wins the first round and then just in the second and third stops doing what he was having success with. I mean, this is just shockingly bad decision-making. But, again, the third category that Cody now occupies, potentially, is 
And I don't think he's, you know, at the top of this list, mind you, but he's on this list at this moment in time. Precipitous downfalls after winning the title. Now, again, he's not Hennon Burrell and he's not Johnny Hendricks. But he might be in another couple of years, depending on what he does after this. I mean, for a guy with as... I mean, this guy went from unranked... His chin? I mean, his chin just might not be able to take it like it used to. We know The, the chin can only take so many shots, Robert. That's, it's true. And he's kind of... What I'm seeing is he's kind of just throwing caution into the wind and leaving his chin exposed, and guys are, and guys are getting wise to it. I think the other problem he had here was... And I don't, and this is, this is not a problem unique to him. There's plenty of other fighters that have fallen into this trap. When Cody sticks to the game plan, when he sticks with what he has drilled, he is, again, he's genuinely one of the most spectacular fighters you'll see. He was. I mean, even again, look up, look up until that headbutt in this round. It's still a great performance on his end up until that point. When he gets emotional, (laughs) That's when everything goes out the window. That's when he stops moving. That's when he he starts planting his feet and brawling. He gets obsessed with getting it back. And that's when what he does kind of falls apart. Especially against someone who knows how to stand in the pocket or move a little bit in the pocket and will trade with him. I mean, if you watch the closing minute of this fight, he and Munoz both land. I mean, it's not like Pedro is some defensive or, you know, pocket-fighting savant. Pedro gets clobbered. His chin just holds up in this circumstance. I, again, Cody now can be, is in the discussion for, you know, MMA one-hit wonders for dumbest in-cage decision-making and worst downfall after losing the title. I mean, if nothing else, that is an impressive collapse that has to be acknowledged. I mean, good grief. For a guy that a lot of us, and I'll throw myself in here, thought was going to be a major player in this division, and one of the guys who, you know, was you know potentially just elevating all of MMA to have dropped off like this, Man, is that, that is something, if nothing else. I, oh, I mean, again, the fight was very entertaining. But for those of us who, you know, look at the technical side of things, boy, was this frustrating to watch Cody just literally throw away everything that had been so successful and then get knocked out because I, I of it. I think this is his problem. He just kind of, he gets a little, he gets too emotional. And I, and I, I think he, he definitely has an emotion problem. And I think, I think against Dominic Cruz, he was able to channel it a little bit more, but I think it's a problem throughout his entire career. Well, he also, and I, I love Dominic, but, Dominic also never hit him all that cleanly, and Dominic's not exactly a hard puncher to begin with. Right. 
But if you look at again, when he kind of, I think he got too emotional in that fight and around the whole fight itself. It was definitely very emotional. Who? Cody Garbrandt. For for what the Cruz fight? Yeah. No, I mean Dominic's the one who actually got overly emotional about it. Well, I I I think I think it's a problem for Garbrandt too. He lets his emotions get the better of him, and it hurts his his decision making in the cage. And I think it especially hurt him against the in the Dillashaw fights. Yeah, you know, it 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 absolutely did. In the well, I'd say more the first than the second. The second he just. The second was just a bunch of bad decisions, irrespective of his emotional state. Okay. The first, the, I mean, he look. If you watch the second fight, he just comes in and basically does what he was doing in the second round of the first fight, which is what got him knocked out. Mm-hmm. By contrast, if in the first fight he spends the entire first round almost styling on T.J. Dillashaw, then the one time then he gets hit and knocked down with that high kick and become so obsessed with getting back the knockdown and the damage that he leaves himself vulnerable to the other one, to the follow-up sequence. Well, he left himself vulnerable here, too. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, yeah, again. But the pre- the precipitating event, or the inciting event in both instances, is he gets hit with something and dropped, and then overly obsessed with getting that back rather than just getting back to what was working. Right. Whereas, again, in the Cruz his fight... Defense tar- his defense is awful. His, his fighter IQ is dulled. His defense in the pocket is bad. His defense at range is great, okay. <laughs> largely. Yeah, not perfect, well, but we'll see. Very, we'll very see good. what he does. I mean, this is something we're noticing now. We'll see what he does going forward from here. This, this puts him in a pretty bad spot. That's three in a row. And Pedro Munoz, while very, very good, Probably, if you're losing to Pedro, you're probably not, you know. Pedro Munoz is not, I mean, he's not, he's not a scrub. No, no, again, Pedro's a good fighter. I'm, I'm, but if you look at how he fights. and third straight win. Yeah. Again, Pedro's, Pedro's, uh, he's ranked in the top. Top 10. Yeah. And he deserves to be. But he's probably going to put him in the top five. Possibly. Let's see. Depends on how they want to. Depends on Our how they want to shuffle things two. around. So yeah, he, he. If Munoz is number nine, he's definitely going into the top five now. At a minimum, he'll wind up around six. No, he'll because Cruz probably even shouldn't be ranked right now. Honestly, uh, no, Cruz probably no Cruz should not be ranked at the moment. But Munoz is. <sighs> I mean, he's first of all, he's slow. Munoz is like the slowest bantamweight in the world. Uh, he's also hittable. Very. He just has. He has a very good chin. But his striking is predicated on close quarters. When it, his slowness is less of an issue because of the proximity. Okay. And a lot of his. A lot of his grappling is, I don't know, he's got a good, he's got a very good guillotine. I'm trying to remember the last time I watched him have to work on bottom for a prolonged period of time. I can't remember the last time it happened. I don't think Gar- Garbrandt has had, has had to be on his back a lot. I, I, I meant Pedro. Oh, Pedro? Yeah. 
Pedro's is Pedro's a very solid fighter, and this again, is Pedro's well, solid. Again, Pedro's a very solid fighter, but if you're going to be in the title discussion, he's the type of fighter you should be beating. And if you're not, he, he, you're saying he's a gatekeeper. I think fair point. A very, very bear in mind a very high level one, but yes, but this this fight's gonna it's gonna do a lot of things for his career. Oh yeah, uh, absolutely, easily the biggest win of Pedro Munoz's career. Um. Pedro Jan called him out after the fight, and I mean, I don't care who Peter Jan fights next. I want him to fight everyone in that division. <laughs> I, I love watching that guy fight, but Jan and Munoz would be that would be pretty spicy. Um, you know, I mean, Munoz calling for a title shot after this was hilarious. I mean, I get that's what you do, but Sorry, buddy. You are well, you are. I mean, look, he did beat a former champion. I mean, again, he did. He did it via first round stoppage. It's the biggest win of his career on one of the bigger platforms he's ever been on. It's what you do. I get it. I'm not begrudging him. You know, calling him, deciding to take that shot. Fine, go for you. Know, go for it. It's your mic time. If that's what you want to do, that's what you, you know, again. By all means. Some guys pimp their fishing gear. Some guys thank God and their families. Some guys talk crap about their opponents. Some guys call up, you know, again, you know, it's your mic time. When people talk about make the right decision on, on the election day in 2020. Some guys talk about the, talk about, you know, how water is more oxygenated if there are bubbles in it. And boy, anti-aging is a great shtick. I mean, oh, it, Diego Sanchez, who won last night. God, Diego is so crazy. I, I've hey, never, he, 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 he's a, doing all right now and he got his first finish 11 years. 11 oh god look diego sanchez i am convinced wants to die in the cage and uh, i'm perfectly okay with watching him do so oh man <laughs> I, I, the darkest thing you've ever seen i i mean look i'm under no illusions i watch enough mma that i'm going to watch someone die in the ring that's that's an inevitability. Okay. I mean, fair. I mean, fair enough. If it's and if it's Diego Sanchez, I'm okay with that. I don't wish. Damn. I don't wish death on Diego. Let me be very very clear about this. I, Diego, I've interviewed you once before for Four One One Mania. I care about you, Diego. I I wish the best for you, your career, and your family. But uh, like, I do not. Let it be known, for the record, I do not share Robert Winfrey's views on Diego Sanchez. I like Diego Sanchez. He's a, I consider him a friend to me in 411 Mania. These views are Robert Winfrey's and Robert Winfrey's alone. Fair enough. Let me, okay, let me make my point. Go ahead. Well, I, I, I just wanted to I, let this okay. be on the record since this is going to technically be on the internet forever. Yes, it is. This is not the worst thing I've said on the internet. I do not wish death on Diego Sanchez. There's not, there is not, there is not an MMA fighter in the UFC that I actively wish death upon. There are people in this world I do wish death on. Okay. Because I, I am aware of at least three abusive pedophiles. Okay. And yeah, I kind of want them to die horribly. I do not wish death on Diego Sanchez, but I get the feeling he's the kind of guy who does want to die in the cage. <laughs> Like there's mean, some there's some part of him that <laughs> that that's gonna you know, that that you know almost want that wants to kind of go out like that and 
I mean, I think it was, it's been said that there were a couple of wrestlers who would rather die in the ring than like slowly of old age or, you know, of some terminable, uh, incurable disease. I mean, I think Raven famously said that like Tommy, like Tommy Dreamer would be okay with Raven killing him in the ring if he contracted something that was in some incurable cancer or whatnot. Now, I don't know. That may just be Raven being Raven. But you know, if Diego Sanchez is go- wants to die in the cage just to complete the insanity that is <laughs> the life of Diego Sanchez in MMA at this point, You know, I again like when I say I can live with it, that's probably that, that implies a level of uh, blaseness about it that I don't really have. That I mean, it, it's not you know, watching someone else die is a very is not something I take lightly. Let me be very very clear about this. I just have also got Mickey Gall already. Yes, please. I think he's had his fifteen minutes. It's time to cut him loose. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, if you can't beat if you can't beat an old an old if you can't beat Diego Diego Sanchez and and not only that you get finished you're the first guy finished by Diego Sanchez since Luigi Fiorivante. I mean I don't know if you should be on the UFC roster. Look, man, if you can't beat Diego if if you've lost to Diego Sanchez since about two thousand, let's call it. What seventeen? Yeah. Let me back up a little bit. See what I mean. Saying. I think even earlier, <laughs> probably okay. two thousand twelve. Okay. Yeah. You know what? Let's go to twelve. Seven years ago. So oh. yeah, Mar. I mean, I love Jim Miller, but yeah, you lost to Diego, and I mean Miller's on here. But I mean Miller's basically this, uh, occupying the same spot at this point. Like, again, I love Jim Miller. There was a time when he was one of, I think, the three best lightweights in the world, but that ain't now. Uh, Marcin Hell, yeah, I mean, they had to bring in Craig White from, like, the regional scene in a specific subset of, like, Scotland. And now Mickey Gall, who's only, who's wins in the UFC. Two of his wins in the UFC are over guys, are over Mike Jackson and CM Punk. And the other's over Sage Northcutt. Well, then, no, he beat George um, Sullivan, which was his best win. Like, Gall should not be in the UFC. Um, and, sorry, anyway, so Munoz and Garbrandt was your last fight on the main card. As for the prelims, um, Zabit Magomed Sharipov defeated Jeremy Stevens via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board. Uh, there might be a bit of a pattern developing with uh, Zabit in terms of how his fights go. Um, wins the first round, largely on the feet. Imposes a pretty solid grappling game plan in the second. But if he can't finish you after winning those two rounds, he does kind of coast in the third. It wasn't a great performance for him. Let's be honest. Steve, it was a close fight. I gave it to Zabit. Um, what else? Stevens just wait. I mean, he, he didn't flick the switch until the last round and Lawler has had this problem too. I think the biggest thing that kind of hindered Stevens in this fight and commentary mentioned this was footwork. Stevens did a lot of following Zabit instead of cutting him off, 
which is a big thing. But, when but Zabit is a he's very big for this weight class. He's, he's, a, he's a tall guy. Like he's got a frame six on him. One. He's six one, seventy three inch reach. Yeah, he's about uh, he's about my height, and Stevens I weigh. Is, and, and by comparison, Stevens is five eight. So he had a con- he had a considerable height and reach disadvantage here. Uh, the reach was a lot closer than that, actually. Zabit's 71, got sh- to, 71 to 73, but he still has, you know. Yeah, Zabit's still- got short arms for how long his body is. Still less than Zabit, considerably. Oh, no, again, still at a disadvantage, but two inches across your entire wingspan is not it, as big a deal. It wouldn't surprise me if Zabit does move up someday, because, how? I mean, well, he's 28, so maybe he's comfortable at this weight, I don't know. But it wouldn't surprise me at some point down the line. I mean, just given his size, yeah, but... Uh, and there are things but, he stayed a lot more disciplined in this fight than Zabit okay. has in the past. He also did his footwork was better in the sense that he showed the ability to move in both directions. He does a lot of circling to the same side if you will let him. He does a lot of I think it's to his left is his primary uh, the primary direction he circles. If you cut him off, I mean, you know, kind of the joke was, well, let's you know, can he even he's like a NASCAR driver. He can only turn left. Uh, turns out, no, he can go both directions. So, and again, he had some pretty nice, uh, footwork, uh, you know, moments of footwork along the cage when Stevens would suddenly cut him off, then he would bait Stevens into moving one way, slip out the other side. Uh, so again, there were things about this that were much more, uh, refined than some of his previous wilder fights. But I think two things that are going to, be, again, that we have to pay attention to with him going forward. One is his cardio, because he does kind of, again, he coasts a little bit in that third round, and I don't know if it's just, I've won the other two, I don't feel a whole lot of need to risk things, or if it's a, you know, a genuine conditioning thing, especially after a second round that's usually more grappling heavy. And he seems to lack a little bit of power in his punches. Now, you can mitigate that in MMA, you know, with knees, kicks, elbows, Etc. But it's something to pay attention to that, you know, if you can, if, if he can't force someone off of him with punches, you know, it, it, again, there's ways to go around that, but I think it bears watching, you know, how much firepower he actually has in his fists. Uh, Johnny Walker. Good grief. This man. Uh, defeats Misha Serkinov 36 seconds of the first round with one of the most beautiful flying knees you'll ever see. I mean, Johnny Walker is an explosive athlete. I know people say that we only apply, we lo- seem to only apply that term to black folks, but no, man, Johnny Walker's an athlete. And his setups, man, any, anyone can throw a flying knee. It's not actually that hard to jump and place your knee where you want it to go. It's really hard to get your opponent into the position you want them to be in before you throw it's it so it lands. It's an opponent with a flying knee. It doesn't happen often. Again, that's the that's why it's again, that's anyone can do a, a jumping knee. Getting it to land the way you want it to land, that's the hard part. And he completely locked up Misha Serkinov with feints. By the time he throws this knee, Serkunov is trying to defend, I think, three different things. One, he raises his lead leg because I don't know if he's worried about a leg kick or what, but he raises the lead leg. 
he ducks to avoid something coming at his head. And he brings his arms. I think one of them was reaching. I can't remember if it was his right or his left. Serkinov's a southpaw. It was probably his right. He was actually kind of reaching out towards his opponent either to parry something, to deflect uh, or you know, close distance. After, I don't know. He has so overloaded Serkunov's brain in just that short amount of time that when he throws this flying knee, Serkunov has is now defending three other things, which leaves him in a completely vulnerable position to the technique Johnny Walker chose to use. Serkunov is, again, on one leg, bent over at the waist and kind of the, you know, uh, along the back. And has one arm reached out, not defending himself, as that knee comes flying up into his chin. It is, that is baffling to me. The setups that he was able to get together in that short amount of time to land that, to bait that, that opening is, I mean, again, like, that's, that's how you use a flying knee. You don't just throw it when they're kind of backed up against the fence because you don't have something better to do. You bait them into a defensively vulnerable position and then you turn their lights off with it. And that's what he did here. That was beautiful. This was genuinely beautiful stuff. Um, I need to see Johnny Walker in an actual fight. <laughs> I mean, he stopped because he he stopped Khalil Roundtree in the first round very quickly. Stopped Justin Ledet in like 30 seconds. Stops Misha Serkinov in 30 some odd seconds. And I need to see this guy fight over, you know, a full three rounds, please. Um, Cody Stamen defeated Alejandro Perez via unanimous decision, 229-28, 130-27. Uh, just, I mean, this was all right. Diego Sanchez, as we previously alluded to, stops Mickey Gall with strikes in the second round. Cut Mickey Gall. He should not be in the UFC. Edmund Shabazian defeated Charles Bird via TKO with the Travis Brown-style elbows in 38 seconds. Um, Shabazian might be somebody. Uh, Macy Chason scored the fifth fastest, fifth or sixth? I believe the fifth fastest uh, TKO finish in women's bantamweight history when she stopped Gina Mazzani with punches at one minute, 49 seconds of the first round. And Hannah Cyphers defeated Pollyanna Viana via split decision, 229-28 for her, 129-28 for Viana. A lot of, a lot of meh. All right, Jeff. Uh, again, there was some good stuff there. So, what do you want to talk about? What are your burning that, desires? That about does it for UFC 235 for me. All right. Uh, very briefly on UFC Fight Night 146. God, six. Uh, Lewis versus Dos Santos. Again, there's a few decent fights here, but I think we're just going to do quick hits for the whole card. Um, do. Time. So basically, we have Derek Lewis versus Junior. Do this is really, this is borderline a one fight card. 
It's up there, yeah. We have Lewis and versus. There are a couple interesting. Uh, again, there, there's a few that if you if you dig deep, there's a few. It means I think versus Nico Price is a is a decent matchup. Um, man, Tim Bosch is still fighting. Um, but Derek Lewis versus Junior Dos Santos, man, tough call. Uh, I'm kind of leading toward Dos Santos for this one. I'm torn, man. <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, I guess, I mean, we'll see how Lewis performs coming off that fight with Cormier. Um, we'll see if he's still motivated and and stays in shape and whatnot. But, I mean, Dos Santos, he's, he's two back-to-back wins, and he knocked out Tai Tuivasa. So he's kind of, I mean, I'm not saying he's, on the comeback trail here, but he's looking better than he has in years, really, really since I think since he beat Mark Hunt and that was in 2013. Yeah. I mean, if junior stays mobile, I think he can absolutely win this fight. He's been adding a lot of that, uh, calf kick into his arsenal lately. He has good. He has the boxing. He's a yeah, good and- technical boxer. I think, as, again, as long as he stays mobile and varies his offense, because if he stands flat-footed and kind of trades with Derek, that's not going to end well. I mean, let's not forget, Junior, it, it was a close fight, but he did beat Stipe. The first and, time, yes. Oh, yeah. In the first fight, he did he did win. Yes. Uh, then, you know, lost the rematch. Right. But, but yeah, again, it, I... I think this is a winnable fight for Junior, and I'm picking him based largely on sentiment because I have a a big soft spot for JDS. Well, to me, it's not not just for nostalgia. Lewis does have technical deficiencies in his game. Oh, yeah. He does does sometimes have cardio. I mean, his cardio is not terrible for the division. It is. But for heavyweight, it, like his cardio is bad, but he manages it, which right. is a which is an important distinction. I and bear in mind is a skill. There's and a lot does, of, and he does get he does get sloppy sometimes. That's undeniable. He's all about uh, what what that swanging and banging. Yeah, and if you let him do it, he'll be successful. If you don't, um, uh, he's had more success with it than most. I got to credit him for oh, that. Yeah. That's that's very true. There's a lot of guys with essentially his skill set who didn't get half as far in their careers as he did. Okay. As for the rest of this card, um, I'm kind of looking forward to Eliza Zaleski Dos Santos versus Curtis Millinder. Um, Zaleski Dos Santos has a grand total of one loss in the UFC. It was a split decision that could have gone his way. Since then, he has won... He has won five, six fights in a row. Six. He has finished... Luigi uh, Vendramini and Sean Strickland. He finished his last two, yeah. Uh, Again, I I like this guy. I think he's uh, relatively underappreciated in the division. And Curtis Millender, uh, on a a long winning streak, uh, including 3-0 in the UFC. uh, Knocked out Tiago Alves in his UFC debut. With a beautiful knee up the middle. I mean, this one's going to fly under some radars, but that's a good fight. Uh, Tim Means versus Nico Price. If you like the, uh, you know, 
the kind of like you know the the ugly gritty style of fighting. I think that's what these two are going to bring. Um, I had high hopes for Price at one point, but uh, coming off of that loss to Abdul Razak Al Hassan, that was that was not an inspiring performance. Uh, Means knocked defeated Ricky Rainey. I kind of like Means here. Um, we have another crappy heavy. We have because they're because they're because of course there are three heavyweight fights on this card. Next up, we have Blagoy Ivanov and Ben Rothwell. I don't know why either of them are still in the UFC. Boom heavyweights. I uh, this fight will be the cure for insomnia. Uh, probably go with Rothwell, but man, he's been out for a while. 2016. Yeah. This was a drug failure, right? Drug test issue? Probably. Yeah. Um, Benil Dariush and Drew Dober. Boy, Dariush is, uh, that guy's had a pretty precipitous fall. I mean, he's coming off of a win, but, I mean, Dariush was, uh, was very nearly a top tier guy for a while and never Easily seemed to really break through and never seemed to break through. Yeah. Um, Drew Dober's on a career best run for the UFC. Uh, I, I gotta go with Darius here. I mean, Dober's yeah. Dober's a tad one dimensional kind of 50, 50 on this one. I mean, given Darius's decline. Yeah. And that's fair. Um, Tim Boach is fighting Omari Akhmedov. We have Ben Rothwell and Tim Boach on the same card. God help us all. Uh, Tim Boach coming off that. He got choked out by Shoeface. I miss Shoeface. Um, Whereas Akhmedov, didn't he get stopped in his last fight? No, he fought to a draw with Marvin Vittori. I don't know. Uh, Probably, I'm going to lean towards Boach, but... Those are two guys who are going to walk forward, plant their feet, and swing kind of crappy hooks at each other. Um, I'm actually looking forward to this next fight. Anthony Rocco Martin versus Sergio Marais. Uh, th- these two are these are some good grapplers here. Sergio Marais is a former you know world champion several times over. Um, Marais has only lost and he only has two losses in the UFC. One was... Uh, up at middleweight when he lost to Cesar Fajaya. And then he lo- got knocked out by Kamaru Usman, who is now the champion. He's on a two-fight winning streak. He submitted Ben Saunders in his last fight. And Rocco here, and with his sideburns, I'm happy to call him Rocco, on a three-fight winning streak. Um, he is 6-1 and one in his last seven and arguably won that the one fight that he lost during that stretch. He's undefeated since returning to welterweight. He's 3-0. and uh, This is a pretty good fight. I kind of like Rocco here. Uh, I'm leaning towards Martin. Um, Marion Renault fights Yana Kunitskaya. This is a lot of yawn for me. Lean towards Renault, but... Um, Grant Dawson will fight Julian Arosa. Meh. Cut the loser, if not both of them. Uh, and our other heavyweight fight for the evening, because they just go downhill, uh, Maurice Green will fight Jeff Hughes. I think Green has fought in the UFC before, but I'm not sure on that. Um, I don't care. I, I don't care who wins that. Um, Louis Smolka, this is a bantamweight. Louis Smolka will fight Matt Schnell. 
Smolka's on a four-fight winning streak. I mean, he just returned to the UFC with a win. Uh, he got cut after going on a four-fight losing streak. Uh, finish, has finished all of his last four. Um, Schnell has won his last two. Uh, this is a decent enough little fight. Uh, probably Smolka, and then Schnell will be cut because... No, no, he's up at Bantamweight here. Ah, still, they're going to be thinning that division in a hurry. Um, Alex Morono will fight Zach Otto. You know, that's... Uh, that might be interesting. Probably not, but it might. Uh, I'll go with Morono there. And then kicking everything off, we have Alex White versus Dan Moret. Probably going with Alex White. Um, this is Moret. Oh, no. Alex White got choked out by Jim Miller. Lost. Oh, God. Alex White is not good. Never mind. Dan Moret may not have a Wikipedia entry, but I think he'll beat Alex White. Uh, that entire event will be on ESPN Plus this coming Saturday. So, Jeff, uh, any other burning desires from this card? Nope. All right. Uh, okay. Was there any major news items we wanted to touch on? It's been kind of quiet. So, is there. Pico Rams. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, let's see. In in, in moderate fairness, in to that, yeah. Ahead. I was going to say, in, in moderate yeah. fairness to that point, there's rumblings that John is not the only fighter suffering from that problem. But there's the, a, there's one other one, but they can't say who it is yet. Yeah, th- yeah, they're not they're not allowed to disclose yet who's involved with that. But and again, I'm not saying that. That proves anything, but it is another point of data that should be considered. Again, I, if you still think John Jones is juiced to the gills and cheating and whatnot, I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to convince you otherwise. But uh, Dana White seems adamant that Cormier will get the Brock Lesnar fight. He says he hasn't spoken to Brock Lesnar, and I guess he's waiting on Brock Lesnar to fulfill his WWE commitments. Again, we talked about it earlier, but. It looks like he's high on the idea of Tiago Santos versus John Jones next. I don't really have a problem with that, but I mean, if the Lesnar fight doesn't work out, I think you might as well just do Cormier Mio too. I can live with that. I mean, unless you wanted to, unless just for the for you know the old shits and giggles, unless you wanted to just do. Another title opportunity for Francis Ngannou where he will inevitably fall short and we can just kill off all any hope he has of being a legitimate attraction in the UFC because DC would just ragdoll him. Okay. Uh, let's see. Since we spoke about Matt Hughes earlier, there were some allegations from his wife, Audra, and his brother, Mark Hughes, of uh, assault and domestic abuse. Um... Uh, his brother Mark accused Matt of assaulting Mark's teenage son due to a disagreement. Uh, Matt Hughes then issued a statement denying the abuse allegations. Make that of what you will. I think that there was a restraining order from his family members against him. And his wife has filed for divorce. Okay. So. Um, I don't want to get too much into this because, uh, let me say this. I don't know. We're going to get into a bit of a chicken or an egg scenario here in the sense that 
Matt Hughes pretty clearly suffered a traumatic brain injury of some variety when he was when his car was hit by that train. And possibly before. And almost certainly before. I mean, the man was knocked unconscious several times. Now, now I, I and see, hang on, I and complete speculation. Do we know why he 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 was hit by that train? I have no earthly idea. Could it could it have been because of traumatic brain damage? I mean, yes. It, it, I, again, I don't know nearly enough to make an intelligent comment on the situation. Would I be surprised if year again the years of head trauma and whatnot had put him in a position where he was I oh God, I'm going to get I don't want to get anyone in legal trouble but there's only one reason you park your car on train tracks now again was I, that I, I don't know uh, I, I I say I say that I don't know but me, I, again I'm me neither sure that could be the case so uh, again like again there will be a bit of a chicken or an egg in terms of was he significantly was he suffering from cte prior to the train to the train accident the thing or, is i don't or think did the, brought that up i i don't know i mean i haven't i haven't seen a whole lot written on the subject yet but we'll see and i mean here's the other thing if you've suffered through reading matt hughes's autobiography he's kind of a dick I've not read his autobiography, but don't, I mean, I mean, don't. I mean, it, look, it's a it's a bunch of self serving crap. I mean, look. I mean, if his, his if rep, I could, let's just say his rep, he's had a bit of a reputation for. I'm a Matt Hughes fan, and you know I've heard plenty of stories. I'll say that. I mean, but, if, but I, than, you know, you hear things, and sometimes things are not always accurate. You know. True. I mean. It, I mean, for the record, there's there's a plethora of stories about him, you know, engaging in rough hazing of, uh, I mean, Tim Sylvia, I think, was one of the recipients. Yeah, of it. but look, I mean, I'm not excusing hazing, but I'm sure a lot of those guys. Oh, yeah, I'm, bear in mind, Hughes is not the only guy who has ever done this in MMA history. I mean, look, there's a video out there of Crow Cop and some pride people basically hazing um, Mara Ranello, who has... Um, who has ADHD? So I mean, and pretty severe bipolar disorder. Yeah. Who? I mean, I mean. So is that really okay for them to do that to to someone suffering? Uh, no, I mean, again, I think I'm not I, saying send those guys to jail. I'm just saying, you know, uh, whatever. If we're, if we're trying to bring, if we're trying to bring up whether or not Matt Hughes you know, was a vastly immoral person in his time, I don't think that's the case. Okay. If you again, if you don't want to read his auto his you know autobiography, I think Sean O'Connell wrote a uh, uh, um, like a summary of it. Like he covered and he read it and reviewed it for a website, and you can find his take on it, which will give you the salient points and is probably better written. In all fairness, um, speaking of Mirko Krokop, he announced his retirement. Uh, he suffered a stroke. Uh, apparently, this just kind of dealing with like uh, some long running neck trauma. One of the veins ruptured, and he's done. Um, I'm glad it wasn't more serious because I have a great affection. I for hope Mirko. he makes a full recovery, but does it make me a bad person that I don't really feel that sorry for him? I mean, there's I nothing. Feel like he should have called it quits a long time ago. And I he, mean, there's there's nothing to, times. I mean, there's nothing to feel sorry for in the sense that there's no tragedy, there's no malicious intent on any part. It's just part of life. I mean, 
Again, I have a lot of. He should have stayed retired after the after he quit after the first time. At a minimum, after the second. No, no, no sorry, he's sorry, retired. sorry. You're... He's had multiple retirements at this point. Um, yeah, and again, see. I have a lot of affection for Mirko Didn't because he, reti- he retired after the Roy Nelson, the first Roy Nelson fight. I need to look up his his record because I remember a couple of different openly retired in the UFC. And he was like, I was treated like a king here, blah, blah, blah. And I felt like that would have been fine. And then he came back and then he started doing Japan fights. I wish he didn't. I wish I, I let me let me walk back what I said earlier. I feel sorry that he suffered a stroke, but I mean, I wish he retired earlier. He should not have been fighting this long. These last five, these five years at the very least. Uh, Yeah, I mean, he had a, he had a good chance to go. I mean, uh, yeah, after the Gonzaga rematch, when he knocked out Gonzaga, that would have been kind of the perfect time. Because remember, he fought. Uh, he came back for the one fight in the UFC. Stopped Gonzaga in the rematch. Uh, they were in Poland. This was fif- 2015. Mm-hmm. That I think that was the perfect point for him to kind of call it a career. He avenged like the most devastating defeat, the one that derailed his career. Right. And he did it in front of a not exactly his hometown, you know, because they were in Poland, not Croatia. Well, again, this is the the trap fighters fall into. They trap themselves. Yeah. Um, so again, I I hope he makes a full recovery. I'm glad it wasn't any more serious. Merkel's look, a, guys fighting into their 40s is the exception, not the rule. Yes, even at heavyweight, absolutely yes. I have a lot of affection for Merko. He's I don't want to get into like my whole history he's with. He's a legend. He's he's an all time great. Absolute uh, absolute legend of the sport. I just wish I just wish he had not have been going this long. I was I was disappointed to hear he was still fighting. I mean, for crying out loud, the guy was actually part of the uh, you know like the anti terrorism unit while he was fighting in Pride. Right. I mean, that's just. I mean, he was called Crow Cop for a reason. I mean, so. yeah, that's not that's not his actual last name. That he, that was, you know, just, he's a Croatian cop. Yeah, his, his last name is Filipovic. Filipovic, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, I, I hope the, he recovered. Wasn't he also, like, a, a member of the, like, parliament or congress? He was, he held some elected office for a brief period of time. correct. I just, yeah, I'm just disappointed he was fighting this long. I don't think he... And yeah. like, and this is kind of why I get angry when people like, you know, people shouldn't talk about when fighters should retire or, or promoters shouldn't blah, blah, blah. When I hear garbage like that, it kind of makes me angry. It's not always because, because I think when people talk about that, it's not always coming from a bad place, you know? Yeah. I mean, again, a lot of the time when people bring that up, it is out of genuine concern for someone's health and and I'm not saying that a fighter can't have a bad run and can never make a decent comeback. Yeah, that's it's possible. It's possible we can be wrong about that. But, I mean, let's see. I mean, Crow Cop didn't – he hasn't lost in all, in all these fights he's had the last five years. That doesn't mean he shouldn't have retired, in my humble opinion. I agree. Just because he, he won a bunch of fights, mostly against tomato cans, doesn't mean he should have kept fighting. I'm sorry. No, I don't disagree with you there. 
but whatever. I mean, I Crow Cop, I hope you're going to be okay and you'll be able to live a decent life after having that stroke. But I don't think he should have been fighting this long. All right, uh, let's see. We have that. Those, we, those are major news items. Uh, unless you had any thoughts on stuff from the last couple of weeks, because I know you missed last week. Uh, the the interim title fights, I guess. If you if yeah. you would like to I mean, make a I comment, like matchups. I get. I, I my my assumption is is that my understanding is is that Khabib's not going to be fighting until November. Possibly. That is what seems to be indicated at the moment. I would just, you know, I would strip, strip Khabib and make Poirier versus Holloway for the title. That's what I would do. Okay. Enough of this interim. To me, the only interim thing that's justified is is Whitaker because one Whitaker hasn't defended the title ever. And he's injured, and he gets injured a lot. So I'm fu- he gets sick or hurt a lot, and you can't even deny that, Robert. So oh, no, I, I again, I think it's uh, it's a borderline tragedy that someone I, as good I'm as saying, he is. I'm saying give Whitaker one more chance, just because this was like such a freak thing. But if it happens again, you're going to have to strip him. Yeah, if that title does not get defended this yeah, year, you do have yeah, you do have to. Just keep the you know keep the gears moving you know that that is a thing um, that has to happen. As for lightweight strip Khabib, he's he doesn't deserve that title. Um, he's an embarrassment to the sport. He and Conor McGregor both. This division is too stacked and too crowded to to have guys sitting around. Especially, to, it should have been Tony Ferguson versus Max Holloway. Make it for the actual title. There you go. They tried apparently. Uh... Yeah, but Ferguson doesn't want to fight for an interim title. Or there was or it was just the straight up money that they couldn't reach an agreement on, I don't know. I mean, they gave Ferguson an, an interim title before and they took it away. I I understand yep. his feelings. Oh no, I completely understand Tony's perspective on this. I really do. Uh that that's all my thoughts on the matter. Utterly random fact about this purely random trivia very briefly. Mhm. Because uh, Poirier versus Holloway is a rematch. Right. Uh, they fought in 2012. It was Holloway's debut. I like Holloway this time. It's so good- do I. But one other thing of some note happened in 2012. That was the last time Tony Ferguson lost a fight. Uh, to Johnson. Yeah. To- just as a as a brief, like, again, crazy stat. Tony Ferguson has not lost a fight since Max Holloway has been in the Ferguson UFC. Not near, he does not get a fraction of the respect he deserves. Not, uh, not a fraction. I, I largely I, agree. I, again, I love Tony. Tony is one of my favorite fighters to watch. He is one of, he, he is one of the best... Li- uh, you know, we're talking about Tyron Woodley earlier. Tony Ferguson is one of the greatest lightweights ever. And yeah. He, and he's never gotten an actual title shot. And that's despicable to me. Well, if it's despicable if the entire thing had been nefarious. I mean... What, hap- what, what happened with Khabib was nefarious. No. Yes. Khabib and Connor was nefarious. Tony, yeah. blowing out, Tony blowing out his knee because he wouldn't take off his Ray-Bans indoors is not nefarious. Well, that's... I mean, that, that's stupid, but... They were going to fight for the belt. 
They were going to fight for the actual title. Tony blows out his knee Some a week before. Some people have event. to wear their sunglasses at night, Robert. I know. Look, I've been known to wear sunglasses indoors a time or two myself. I just make. I just would never, ever do it inside a television studio the week before the biggest fight of my life. Uh, you know, people do that. Um, well, look, Tony's Tony's a total madman. I mean, I I I, res- I respect it. I really do. Being a madman is why he's so good. In a lot of ways, yeah. I mean, and again, honestly, I would I would love Tony Tony versus Max is like my dream fight right now in all of MMA is those two. Because well, you have you have the wild man in Tony Ferguson, one of the more unpredictable fighters, a a machine of pressure and violence and pace who leaves openings against a man with Again, a great pace of his own, great cardio in Max Holloway, who makes reads and adjusts to you better than anyone else in the sport, minute to minute. I like Holloway just because he's too... I feel like Holloway has really developed before our eyes. And, I mean, look. look. Holloway was a young... I mean, look. Holloway went from being the guy who got beaten by guys like Poirier and... Um, Conor McGregor to, to finishing Jose Aldo twice. And Jose Aldo is still a top five featherweight, even after those losses, right? Based on the rankings, yes. He's still beating top five contenders. So Aldo, he beat a, a very, a, a still very tough and relevant Jose Aldo. So... You never would have imagined that when they first fought. So I, I got when go, they, I I mean, when they go first Holloway. fought Holloway was what, 19? Emporia is a very good fighter. But when you look at the development in those in the last 7 years, who do you think has developed more, Holloway or Poirier? Oh no, Holloway. I am picking Holloway for that okay. fight assuming it goes through. But it's a tough fight. But you know what? It's a tough fight. So I never, you can never, even in a fight like this, Holloway moving up, fighting at lightweight for the first time, you can never, you can't completely sleep on Poirier. Um, I'm picking Gastelum for the Adesanya fight. Sue me. No, no need to sue you. It's a legitimate choice. It's a legitimate pick. There's plenty of ways you can win. I think Gastelum is like, that's the toughest fight, Adesanya. That's the toughest. And if, and let me say this. If Adesanya gets past Gastelum, um, that will go, it will go very far to making me believe how, how far he can go in this division. So we'll see. No, it's a good fight. I, there's things that each guy toughest, does that I troubles mean, it, the other. It's the toughest single matchup he's ever had in his entire MMA career. So, and Frankly, his, frankly yeah. it's, also, it's one of the tougher for Gastelum, too. Yeah, we'll see. Again, based again stylistically, he's never fought a striker as good as Adesanya. Adesanya is good, but I, I just don't know how good he is yet. I need to I need to see more. Yeah, and Gastelum should oh. write a really good test for that. Here's one last bit of news: Vitor Belfort signed with one. Talk about guys fighting too long. So he's going to be fighting for one championship now. Yeah, I mean. All right. <laughs> I, I haven't cared about Vitor in like 10 years. <laughs> I mean, well, there there it is. 
Look, to, look, if he's getting paid and every, you know what? Fine. Again, if he wants to die in the and Vitor's a little crazy too. Yeah. If Vitor's okay, you know, potentially dying in the ring and whatnot, and that's kind of how he wants to go out. Fair play, man. The thing is, the reason I want Die like a Diego to retire. He's thirty-seven. He got his first finish in eleven years, and he beat Mickey Gall. I do not see it get getting much better for him at this point than that. It's only going to get worse. <laughs> and for Vitor, uh, he won his last UFC fight against Marquardt, right? So, uh, I can't remember if it was the Marquardt fight, but yes. Uh, no. To... Oh, oh no, he lost. He got knocked out by Machida. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, that was it. I thought there was one more. I wish he stopped after the Marquardt fight. He was set up to retire there. It was his home. It was in Rio. I mean, because my feeling was it wouldn't have gotten better for him after that, and it didn't. So it's like, because now he's he's 41, and and he's had a very long career, so it just doesn't make sense to me. But... I'm not a fighter, ain't his wife, ain't his mom, ain't his manager. So, not my decision. I Yeah, I mean, I I've, I struggle with, you know, telling guys I think they should retire necessarily at this point. I mean, I've done it in the past. I probably will in the future. I'm trying to, I've been trying to understand my thinking behind it. And, you know. My thinking is Vitor is 41. He, he's done everything he can at this point. Doesn't really have anything left to prove. Arguably will be a UFC Hall of Famer. Arguably. Should be. In all, okay. Based on based on established criteria for that body, he should be. Okay. Based and I'm, not, on and that, I'm not exactly a fan of Vitor's, mind based you, but... On that, it, based on that, and based on the risks you take in your fight career, I would say it's not worth the risk anymore. Other than that, other than that, you're addicted to fighting, and you need and you need to sate your addiction. Yeah, I just again, like I, I used to call for guys to retire, and then I realized I was being kind of a jackass about it because there's so many. I don't think so. Only because there's literally, I know nothing of these people apart from what I see on TV, and that is not at all. That's not at all qualifying me to make life decisions for them. Vitor was already highly relying on TRT to remain relevant and competitive. Yeah. So again, like at this point, I, I just, my only point of like reference can be, do I think they should be where they, do I think they should be where they are? Look at Vonderlei now. I don't want to see that happen to Vitor. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, it's just, you know, he's not in the UFC because I believe the UFC has an actual standard of, op- of you know, talent and competitiveness that they should maintain. Other than that, I mean, again, I'm not his family. I'm not his friend. I, he doesn't know me from Adam. It's right. It's not our decision. But, you know, I, I, fe- I think we're well within our rights to express our opinions on that. I don't see the problem. I mean, you can't. Again, it's a. You know, we're both we're both Americans. We live in a country where we can literally say whatever we want. And yeah, fair play. Well, good luck to you Vito. for the moment. <laughs> good luck to you. Good luck to you. Yeah, you know, good, good luck. Go young lion. Old dinosaur. 
Old dinosaurs. <laughs> I deliberately inverted that. Uh, all right. Um, oh, you missed the uh, the GSP retirement special. Do you have anything you wanted to say about him about GSP hanging him up? Um, I hope I hope he stays. I I, I, uh, I all this talk about the Khabib fight angers me, and they're like, "Why didn't you make that fight? Why would you make that fight? It's it's stupid." I mean, there's it, a no, no. There's a very good reason to make that fight. Why? Money. I don't even think that fight does that fight even do that. Oh yes, absolutely. Do you have that fight? uh, GSP wanted that fight at lightweight. That's stupid. Stupid. I mean, I mean, I agree. Stupid. Stupid. Look, look, if you were to, if you were to, if I were you know in the UFC's position and I were told you're going to make, you know, we're going to do, you know, 2 million plus pay-per-view buys with George St. Pierre versus Khabib Nurmagomedov, set it up. If that was the mandate, I'd do, it at, one, problem. I'd do it at 165 Booking and I'd these, probably set it in New York. Booking these crossover super fights causes so many problems. And you want to know what else? They rarely work out the way you want them to. Oh yeah. I mean, I would, again, like I, if, if I had the power to say whether or not that fight gets booked, no, don't book the fight. And I blame the media because the media is the the MMA media is far too fixated on on creating super fight on creating fantasy matchups. Basically, that's what they want. And I think it's a problem. I think in some cases you can say, yeah, okay, like when when Anderson Silva and John Jones were just so dominant, I thought, okay, maybe make that fight. Because they were beating everyone put in front of them at the time, right? But they, but at the time, they weren't interested. So, and GSP himself was never interested in the Anderson Silva fight. Mm-hmm. So, and that was the fight, and that was the, that was the super fight Anderson Silva wanted. And it made him angry, and so it's like, I, I don't, I, I think we're far too fixated on super fights, the, both the fans and the media. And I hate them. I mean, if we could see GSP versus Khabib in, you know, in essentially in a vacuum, yes, I, I'd be very, I would be very interested to see how the fight plays out. But nothing happens. But in a I vacuum. mean, it's still an older GSP. It's not. I mean, GSP. He came back and he did look good, but it's not prime GSP. You know. Mm-hmm. I know. So. Again, look, look, I would rather f- have Tony and Khabib. That's, again. That was kind of the thing that annoyed me. Like, people acted offended that they didn't, that the UFC. Honestly, I, I credit the UFC for not pushing forward on that fight more. Because they think it's stupid. Yeah, again, given how, given the texture of things right now, I'm glad it didn't happen. And I uh, hope it does. And, and you know what? I hope that fight doesn't happen. Because I think... I think it's better if GSP ends his run now, ends his run at the top, and we never have. Because that means if he ends his run now, Robert, it means we never have to see him become like Crow Cop or, or some of these or, or Vonderlay or some of these other s- sad situations. And I would rather that not happen to GSP. And you know what? I bet GSP could still be very competitive and very good into his forties. I bet you he could. Oh yeah, given his passion I mean, yeah. for. Given his passion for training, I mean, putting aside, you know, the fighting, 
GSP has a deep-seated passion for martial arts and for physical training. Yeah, so he could absolutely be competitive in but, his forties. But I think it's better if he make if he makes that choice not to, because because his career and legacy remain intact. Yeah, I agree. I mean, again, I I've said I said last week, and you know, I maintain this. You know, George is what I want out of. Uh, if MMA were nothing but a bunch of GSPs fighting each other, I would be happy. I wouldn't be happy, but, you know, because I don't want, I don't think everyone should be like GSP, but he was a credit to this sport. So I hope, I I hope, I hope he stays retired. Alrighty. Uh, On that note, um, plugs and. Speaking of retirement. You interviewed Misha, right? I talked to Misha last week at the open workouts in Los Angeles. Enjoyed that. So we talked about the rivalry with uh, Rhonda. I think Misha is a very intelligent woman, and she handles herself very well. So thank you to Misha for talking to us. And I have two more interviews from that that will be up this week, one with Rich Franklin, former UFC champion, and former UFC fighter Sage Northcutt. Also now in one. Uh, Yeah. So, yeah, because it was the one event that uh we went to and tomorrow i'm seeing oh, yeah, Pat- isn't rich like uh one of their he's, uh, yeah, vice he's presidents like, or yeah, some he's such one of the executives misha yeah, is yeah. one of the executives and sage is on the roster yeah uh tomorrow i'm seeing captain marvel so look out for our official review of captain marvel in a couple days should be and yeah so some good stuff uh coming up oh uh i plan on reviewing the season one blu-ray of krypton so be on the lookout for that too. Haven't watched Krypton yet, but people seem to like it. Yeah, so. people like a lot of stupid stuff. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't seen. Bear in mind, I haven't seen Krypton. I'm not knocking it. I mean, look, I, 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 I gave up on Gotham after like four episodes. Krypton, uh, like a prequel, Krypton, Superman's grandfather show didn't seem interesting to me at all. But I will watch it with an open mind and see what happens. So there we go. Yeah, I hope you. En- I genuinely do hope you enjoy it. You know, I, All right. I haven't seen it. Um, very briefly, as far as I go, I don't think there's a damn you Hollywood this week. I think we're off. Um, mostly I'm gearing up to drag Mark's soul through things he doesn't like. Um, later this month, he and I will be reviewing uh, you know, Captain Marvel when that comes out. And towards the end of the month, I think I talked him into doing a TV party for One Punch Man, which will be hilarious because Mark hates anime. So I can finally exact a bit of revenge on him for all the crappy, crappy movies he makes me watch. Um, again, this Saturday, we'll have coverage of UFC Fight Night 146 in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania. So stop by, say hello if you're so inclined. I always appreciate it. Uh, a big thank you to my readers, just generally. I, I love you guys. Uh, you keep me entertained during down periods of time between fights. Uh, I had an amusing exchange with... <laughs> One of uh, with one of the regular commenters about when exactly did Diego Sanchez go crazy and what did it look like? Uh, we settled on somewhere around his conception. <laughs> uh, so, th- just thanks to you guys for that. I I appreciate you guys. I really do. Uh, thank you a lot for that. I know you could get this kind of stuff in a lot of different places, and uh, you make a choice to you know, be with my to you know, patron patronize has such a bad connotation, but you consume my work and you. Know, I thank you very much for it. 
Uh, we'll be back next week to review Fight Night 146 and 16th. Go check on math. We will preview UFC Fight Night 147. That is the UFC's return to London. A surprisingly good card. Till Masvidal, Edwards Gunner versus Nelson, Volkan Uzdemir and Dominic Reyes is good. Nathaniel Woods fighting. Uh, one of the better up-and-coming uh, bantamweight prospects. So, pretty solid card, actually. Again, uh, so come back next week for that. Thank you all very much for listening. Thank you, Jeff, as always, for being here. Uh, always a pleasure. Until next time, stay safe out there, and please continue to be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>